Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 85. I'm a psychopath. I'm not rude. This week, we're discussing season 4, episode 14 of Buffy, Goodbye, Iowa, and series 6, episode 8 of Doctor Who, Let's Kill Hitler. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, so Buffy first this week, um, but we're not going to start with Buffy. Mm-hmm. We're going to start with Adam, mm-hmm. um, and I like the title that we picked for this episode. Um, it's a it's a river line. I'm not a psychopath. I'm a psychopath. I'm not rude, um, but I do think it highlights something interesting about Adam, which is he is one of those really brutal monsters who is, you know, sort of uh, undermined by his own, you know, kind of genteel sensibilities. <laughs> um, like we are talking about, like his, his uh, kind of calm, polite way of his of expressing himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so I guess before we get into the, the details of the plot and what he does and everything, let's uh, talk a little bit about the debt that he owes to Frankenstein, because both of us noticed oh, yeah. that. Um, yeah. Which I think you could get to if, if you've seen, like, the iconic, you know, movie version, you could get there pretty easily because he's sort of a Frankenstein monster. Like he's cobbled together of bits and pieces of Mm -hmm. other bodies and stuff. Um, But I think you get it even more in this episode when you realize how kind of like you use the word philosophical he is and how kind of curious he is about the world Um, that he wants to sort of know about things and, you know, like you know, when he meets the boy, he says, uh, the boy says, you know, you're a monster. And he's kind of disappointed. He goes, I thought so. And so that's that that Mm -hmm. slightly, that, that kind of sadness that the Frankenstein's monster in the original book has, you know, because in the, in Mary Shelley's story, he's not like a mindless, you know, or, you know, or uneducated or, you know, dumb monster. He's very intellectual. He teaches himself basically how to speak and read. Yeah. Um, and reads some pretty heavy literature and, and, you know, has existential crises and stuff. So he's very sensitive, but he's kind of his sensitivities at war with his outer monstrosity. Um, and, and it's kind of like with people treating him like a monster that he right. becomes monstrous over time. Right. And that's what I was going to say, even sort of his own, although more compressed here than in the Shelley novel, uh, yeah. there's even sort of the same arc that he follows, right? It's his awakening and sort of the accidental killing of his, of Walsh. Like, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Like, I don't know if it is completely accidental. We don't actually ever, I guess really get one way or the other, but like almost seems like it may not have been entirely intended that he killed her immediately right away. But like, yeah, he goes out in the world and he is curious, you know, he wants to know things and 
Yeah. Of course, he runs into this little child. And just mm-hmm. like in the Frankenstein story, you know, sort of not the first person that he runs into, you know, the monster runs into in Frankenstein. But, um, you know, yeah. it, it like an early an early episode is, you know, he runs into this child and kills. I, I believe it's a girl in the story. I could be wrong. Yeah, uh, I was trying to remember. I know that also reminded me of the movie when there's the girl that he meets who's throwing, you know, flower petals into the river and you know and he ends up throwing her in (laughs) sort of trying to play and misunderstanding what will happen if so it's sort of it reminded me of that that he's curious about what you know play is you Mm -hmm. know so the the boy is playing with a toy action figure and it's almost like he plays with the boy in the same way, not necessarily there's, you could see it as ignorance of kind of what it is he's doing. But at the same time, you get that really sadistic smile when he realizes like that he has the spike, you know, mm-hmm. when the kid says like, you know, what does that do? And he kind of goes, huh? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how much of that is kind of just ignorant curiosity and how much of it is sort of, actual intentional yeah you know brutality and everything yeah and i don't remember in the book i know he ends up killing you know the the brother or whatever but i don't Mm -hmm. remember if the child he meets early on if he kills her as well it's been a while since i read it yeah and i i can't honestly remember if it is even a boy or girl but he does he that's sort of what initially riles uh people you know, yeah. against him and that kind of thing. I mean, also his monstrous looks, but um, sure. it's that same kind of thing. It's like, and and I like in in the Buffy episode here how like the boy is so calm and matter of fact about it, like almost yeah. almost psychopathic in his own way. Like mm. he doesn't he doesn't run away screaming. He doesn't want it. It's just like, yeah, you know, Adam says, "What am I?" And he goes, "You're a monster." Yeah, like not you know, no real like fear about it or anything it's just you're a monster matter of fact yeah um and uh so the other thing i want to point out too is that like there is a um a sort of um uh parallel too between even how the monster in frankenstein um associates himself with Adam from Paradise Lost uh, mm. initially. And then later he actually, um, when when there's like the whole middle third of the book, when him and when the monster and Frankenstein are having their philosophical discussion in a cabin in the Alps, which you don't ever right. see in the movies. Um, Strangely <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, you know, but there's, um, you know, he later compares himself to Satan uh, in right. Paradise Lost. Uh, so, there's also that sense of here where, you know, obviously his name is Adam and he does have sort of that innocence in the beginning, but then he becomes sort of demonic or, I mean, he's already part demon. We learn, you know, obviously, but like, you know, there is that shift sort of in action to that. He goes from being that what you could at least excuse as sort of innocent, you know, just trying to figure out who I am kind of thing to uh, actually, I realize I have a purpose now and, and right. We don't know fully what that purpose is, but it's to kill and destroy. So it's, you know, very uh, 
satanic or demonic or whatever you you know you want to do so there is sort of that parallel there and sort of the the um which well, which is the frankenstein's monster also makes that decision it, it becomes okay if i'm going to be treated like a monster and i'm going to be you know forced to act in this way then i am going to actively kill your brother and your family and that's what and i was that's what i was going to say is the identification with satan in paradise lost it's not just like a okay i'm evil and that's great and i'm going to embrace it but that notion of feeling you know uh persecuted and mm-hmm. unjustly cast out yeah exactly. you know because like that's the famous blake's famous you know quote about milton is he was of the devil's party and didn't know it that secretly even if milton didn't realize it paradise lost is kind of on satan's side <laughs> like you right. know like and it's people an unjust who, treatment of satan and, a, and that's how he became yeah that he's a sympathetic you know sympathy for the devil you know so that yeah. he like actually has some sort of justification at least to you know some sympathy if not total justification for everything that he does so like people that and characters who identify with him don't necessarily do that because they feel themselves to be evil they do that because they feel you know unjustly sort of called the evil one and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um there, there's, so, um, yeah, so we don't know, and like, and that's what we don't totally know yet that much about Adam. How much of that is him, you know, kind of embracing and reveling in his own evil, and how much of it might he see himself as the wronged party, you yeah, know? Yeah, uh, there's a book called uh, Televised Morality, um, subtitled uh, The Case of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where um the author gregory stevenson looks at this episode as in one chapter or whatever and, and draws a lot of these parallels um one of the other things that he sort of brings up to and i haven't i haven't read it this is just based on reviews of what i've seen and whatever but one of mm-hmm. the things that he talks about too is sort of the whole technology aspect of it of you know is there is there a science or an aspect to science of going too far, you know, and being able to, uh, you know, like when you start messing with the stuff of life, you know, Mm -hmm. have you, you know, gone. And, and I think, I think we've seen that sort of escalating bit by bit, uh, with the initiative and the more we find out. And of course, in the last episode, you know, finding well even um when we've seen in earlier episodes we've seen like dr angleman sort of uh uh performing his autopsies or whatever on the demons and you know you get this idea that they they want to study them they want to learn about them and then you realize well that's not just it they also want to reconstruct you know like new forms and you know new uh you know this whole idea of of them playing god and and through technology and um, but also through like military force and legalism and that kind of thing too. Like there's uh, a bunch of these different um, things. And actually the, uh, he, he draws a pair. I, I'm not sure that this hundred percent holds up, but he, you know, Stevenson uh, draws a parallel between even the uh, cartoon that they're watching with Wiley e. Coyote, who, mm-hmm. you know, always has his sort of acne technology things where he's trying to you know get the roadrunner 
Um, right. And, and, you know, he swings the, uh, you know, big ball around. Uh-huh. And, of course, it goes all the way around and hits him and takes him out. You right. know, and, right. and there's that, you know, Buffy's like, Does oh, that, that make that, Buffy the Roadrunner? That would never <laughs> happen. And, and so Stevenson sort of tries to draw that with, like, the the parallel of, like, Adam being created as, you know, like, this super technological thing that goes awry kind of thing. And I'm like, right. eh, I don't know if that quite works right. in in that extent of a metaphor. But, mm. um, you know, I think there is, I think there's definitely some stuff, you know, going on with, like, technology and going too far and and having it backfire, perhaps. Yeah. Does that uh, make Buffy the Roadrunner? <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But um, I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't know. I the, I think the, it breaks down pretty quickly. <laughs> the thing it the thing it does remind me of is Adam dissecting the boy. Right. Because he mutil he, he doesn't he doesn't just kill him. He opens him up and looks at him, and he's like he says, "I wanted to see the world. I saw the inside of that boy, and it was beautiful. But it mm-hmm. didn't tell me anything about the world. So this idea that he's He's dissecting the boy mm-hmm. to try to learn something. Um, right. He's he's know, doing his own like scientific, scientific experimental yeah. studies. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So I think certainly there's an uncomfortable parallel there. Like if, if you're the initiative, you don't want to be compared to Adam necessarily. Yeah. Um, um, and, and just the idea that more generally speaking of that, there are just these questions. Oh, oh man. I didn't even think about this in relation to the Doctor Who episode, but that there are these sort of unanswerable questions, right? Of Mm. like, he says, you know, that tells me what I am, but not who I am, you know, like, you know, that there are these questions that science just can't answer perhaps. And, and so. Which is so perfect that they're so perfect that they're referencing Frankenstein because that's kind of the, the forefather of science fiction, you know, that's pretty much. What, where it all starts to spring from is, you know, around that time, people, you know, as technology and an industry was advancing, people becoming concerned with those ideas of mm-hmm. what happens if you, um, I know our teacher, Amy Sturgis, doesn't necessarily see Frankenstein as anti-technology, but certainly is concerned with the idea of what if you don't have good stewardship of technology what happens if yeah. you take it too far and use it to play god right there's um, an ethical to create, aspect to yeah, it. yeah yeah that the issue is not just frankenstein's making of life but that he then abandons it and neglects it and doesn't right. take responsibility for it right um right um so so on that note what are your thoughts about dr engelman <laughs> Uh, because I feel like he, so, I mean, Maggie doesn't ever get a chance to, uh, abandon her creation, right? Because she gets killed by it. But like Angleman, if you look at him as sort of the co-Frankenstein in the story, uh, we don't ever hear Adam say, but, you know, basically he's the father, right? Right, right. Well, so now he's Adam's killed off both his parents so yeah, he's very foreign yeah. in that way yes yeah uh um he penetrated his mother and then killed his father no sorry i did i guess i didn't have to be that explicit but um yeah adam has a bit of a edible complex but um 
I guess the most interesting thing that Engelman said was he he kind of shoved all the blame onto Walsh yeah. for what what you know her that it was her decision to kill Buffy that that's not something that he or the organization necessarily agreed with. He he tells Buffy when Buffy is holding him by the scruff of the neck about right. ready to pummel him. Right. <laughs> so so like, maybe we take that with a huge grain of salt. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, and we'll never know. Who, who can he's say? Dead, who so, can say? Yeah. You know, I mean, we don't we don't actually know. Like, he could be completely earnest. Like, it, that could yeah. be absolutely true. On the other hand, we've seen him working side by side with Walsh before and doing yeah. his own experiments. So, like, I feel right. like even if Walsh was the mastermind, he wasn't exactly an unwilling participant, you know? That's kind of the impression I had was, I think he, if I'm totally guessing and will probably never be proved one way or the other, it seemed like he was sincere in the sense of that was her idea. You know, it wasn't like that was the plan all along or that anybody else necessarily ordered it or forced her to do it. But it also doesn't seem like he or the rest of the initiative is really on Buffy's side either. It seems like that he seems pretty neutral on the issue, you know, that like maybe it was Maggie's idea to bring her in and he was sort of iffy about that too. So maybe they just didn't have much of an opinion about her one way or the other. And it was Walsh who was sort of, playing with this idea of whether or not to bring Buffy into the fold or what to do about her. Um, That's the impression I get is like, yeah, that like on the one hand, he's telling the truth on the other. It's a, it's a nice sounding thing that gets him not beat up. (laughs) Right. right. Well, (laughs) and the other thing is we overhear him talking about the fact that they're secretly medicating the soldier's food. So like, you know, yeah. he's clearly... They're not exactly up front. <laughs> right. Well, not exactly up front, even with the other folks of the with initiative. Their own people, yeah. And also, like, he clearly, in that instance, doesn't have ethical qualms with that fact. He's just mm. saying, we need to get them back here because the experiment's going to go wrong, basically. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, you know, and all I care about is Finn. He's important for some reason or other, which we don't right. really find out why. But, mm. um... Other than that, you know, he was important to, like, Walsh or whatever. But we don't know, like, more specifics about that, if yeah. there are any. But, um, yeah, so, like, he doesn't seem to have a problem with that. It's just that he doesn't... I mean, he seems at least genuinely concerned about them. But, like, at the same time, it's like, is he really concerned about their health? Or is he concerned about the experiment of, right. you know, medicating these soldiers on the sly? So... Well, and when we talk about Riley, too, what happens if they don't get their dosage? Right. You know? Right. Um, that seems like, you know, if, if if what happens to Riley is what happens when you don't get whatever chemicals they're giving them, yeah. then it's more about, like, you don't want your soldiers to start, like, dropping like flies you know yeah. <laughs> like well and so becoming unpredictably with, like, violent and stuff yeah. too like he i mean riley sort of kind of figures out that something's wrong with himself and whatever but like he's you know he starts having these urges and compulsions right. that you know 
are destructive and don't leave him in sort of the best frame of mind. Not certainly not a frame of mind that you want a soldier, you know, who's carrying guns and stuff to yeah. have. So, yeah. Uh, anyway. So yeah, I think, I think Engelman definitely sort of exhibits some of those Dr. Frankenstein qualities of mm-hmm. not exactly taking responsibility yeah. for the things that you've created or the experiments that you've done uh, in yeah. that in that instance. Definitely. A um, couple other things about Adam. Uh, I think you mentioned in a, te- a text the floppy disks, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which was amazing and fun. Um, and hey, what better way uh, to learn about the world than floppy disks? I almost said late 90s, but I think this is actually 2000 now. We're, is it? Okay. We're into... Yeah, so early, we should be transitioning early 2000, to CDs pretty I mean. soon. Yeah, February um, February fifteenth, two thousand. So, <laughs> um, but interesting too that I mean we get it, as if we couldn't tell. You know, we get uh, a demonstration of how sort of powerful he is. You know that he takes them out easy. He fights Buffy no problem. You know, mm-hmm. so this is a super tough. You know, so in contrast to his sort of very you know calm and polite exterior or way of speaking you know you get this like super fighter um mm-hmm. but uh interesting that he doesn't just kill them all um you know he leaves them alive at the end you know which you know could just be he won he doesn't really care so much whether he kills them so it's sort of like well you know you're down so i'm just going to sort of move on um but you know yeah, i don't know yet it's... what how much of a plan, if any, he has, if it's just sort of, you know, he's just not very much concerned with them or is he, you know, is there a reason for any sort of reluctance there to not just finish the job, I guess? Yeah. I, we get hints that there may be a plan Mm -hmm. um, and that it's actually Maggie's plan Mm -hmm. that, that, that there's something like, as he says, you know, you know, Maggie left her notes and, and all this. And basically Mm -hmm. he read through them and he's like, and I, you know, I know how it ends kind of thing, at least, Mm. you know, so insofar as what she thought, it seems like he knows that there's something going on there. Um, I was, I've always sort of taken that. Yeah. Like that, that he leaves like, two things one that because he can sort of throw them around in any way that he wants that he doesn't actually really see them as a threat so why consider even bother them as a threat yeah yeah killing them but also that there yeah. is some sort of plan to his met you know to his psychopathy uh mm-hmm. you know so to speak the <laughs> the um yeah that yeah like he goes away because he just you know, because his plan isn't to kill them. Like that's sort of the psychopath thing, right? You're, it's not in my plan to kill you, so I'm not going to kill right. you, kind of thing. Right. So, um, well, and, and the and the kind of uh, like fun of evil, like that. There's like, you know, a method, and it's you know he's going to sort of take his time and do it a certain way and everything. That, yeah. You know. Yeah. And right. And so that even though we don't know what that plan is or whatever, like yeah. that there that he does have some sort of goal or uh process in mind and that it doesn't include killing them in that moment. So mm-hmm. um but I think you're right. Like I mean he's strong enough he could sort of take them out. 
so but he doesn't so you know no um anyway well i i don't think it'll be spoilery to say we have now been introduced to the big bad of the season okay um, so like i mean <laughs> he's I not know, gonna just get offed by somebody else <laughs> right like this isn't yeah this isn't like you know the anointed one who gets killed in the second episode you know and we right. think that he's being set up you know to do whatever um, right no i right. i i think it i think given his strength and sort of intelligence and Mm-hmm. ability to it, it's not quite you know upgrading matrix style but it's mm-hmm. a like older version of that right like he doesn't just download the data he has to insert a floppy disk into his chest <laughs> but you know that kind of thing yeah uh, upgrade in progress yeah, yeah. so <laughs> Uh-huh. That's, so fu- that's so funny that's so funny cybermen connection it's so funny to me that he's just carrying around these floppy disks and it's I like know, instant I know, load it's program now yeah it's great <laughs> um, um so much he, depends upon a floppy disk he clearly has like a mind and memory so like yeah. i'm not even like entirely sure why he needs that like i just i think well it's i mean it, i that's i don't, I don't mind that because that's what gives him like the the information about walsh whatever her plan was I assume this is how he knows it, you know, or, right. or, or what we learn about Riley. Right, like it was so, an electronic journal. She didn't yeah, just it's, it's, write it yeah. longhand or whatever. Right. <laughs> Dear diary. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, like, scientists no. have, like, log books and... That's exactly, yeah, that's, it's just an electronic version of her notes. <laughs> I, wasn't, kind of... I wasn't being, like, 14-year-old about it. Like, no. <laughs> I just imagine <laughs> Walsh writing out her plans longhand, and it made me laugh. Here, diary. Um, here, That's diary. Funny. Um, here, Adam. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> we do get some more data, literal data, on Riley, too. Um, sure. And we get the payoff of the little hints that we got last week about mm-hmm. his sort of weird relationship with Walsh. Right. And that, you know, Which he is as oblivious to as he is about everything right. else. Right. <laughs> right. Cause she's been like slipping him drugs and like conditioning him. We have a lot of brainwashing going on in these episodes. Um, yeah. you know, so like you said, like, it sounds like they're, they're giving chemicals to these soldiers to make them stronger and faster, but it even seems like Finn more so than the others. Like he's, and I guess that makes sense that he's like the leader. Like mm-hmm. the, it seems like he had a special, you know, role or, you know, a slightly higher level relationship, you know? Yeah. Um, you well, know, and so, there's... and it's, I kind of liked how you can't, you can't really tell. Sorry, go ahead. I w- no, I was just going to say that like, there are, there's also a hint, um, I don't remember which episode it is exactly, but uh, you know, where he, he talks about like that he was selected out of, you know, basic training right, like or they whatever. Like, him out of, specific, yeah. And so I, you know, I never like, and we don't get any more, like, was he specifically selected by Maggie Walsh for some reason? Like if there was even a connection before that, um, mm-hmm. not, for him in some way, but like, did she see something in him or whatever? And it's so like, I mean, when you think about it, it could be like really creepy and go back like even further than just like, yeah, he happened to be in the program and she 
had an attachment to him. Like, you know, there's right. potential there for like her to have been sort of stalking him in his, you know, coming up through the ranks kind of thing. And, right. uh, you know, selected, selecting him specifically. Um, but for whatever reason, there does seem to be this weird mother son relationship. And like, he's even like, but I have a mother, like, like yeah. he doesn't even quite about? know yeah. about it. You know, he's kind of naive about it as well. Um, even yeah. though it's kind of obvious to us watching from the outside. Um, well, so. and I like the way that it sneaks up on you gradually. Like you don't, you know, it very slowly you start to realize something's going on. Like it takes a long time to really figure out like, because at first it just seems like his anger and confusion and, and that makes sense that he would feel that way. So you don't necessarily think anything of it, you know, and it's only like in each further scene that you realize like it's getting more and more like violent and strange and like mm -hmm. then you realize like it's physically affecting him too so i like how you it's hard to tell what of like you know of how upset he is how much of it is just his natural emotion mm -hmm. you know of being betrayed by her and feeling like he doesn't know what to believe who to believe what side he's on you know and how much of it is just, like, straight up, like, withdrawal from whatever the chemicals yeah, are, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, and you still don't kind of know at the end really where that line is. I mean, clearly it's a bit of both, yeah. you know? Um, but that's that was neat. I kind of like the way they sort of mm -hmm. work that in. So, like, in a well, way, it... the kind of, like, chemical dependency and brainwashing becomes kind of a metaphor for his like emotional dependency yeah. on them you know yeah. so as he is confused about the the initiative and his role in it you get that parallel with like he's not getting you know the the dosage that he needs yeah. you know or whatever it is that's keeping him you know kind of healthy and active yeah. and all this stuff. And I, I think I've mentioned before that a lot of people sort of hate on Riley and Mark Lucas as the actor who, who plays him. Um, but I actually Hater's think... Hater's going to hate. Yeah, I actually think this is one of the... Uh, another one of those episodes where I, I quite like how it is because there are a lot of little subtle things that and i'm not saying it's, he's the best actor in the world or anything but, no but it's but, very subtle the but there transition are, there it's are a very gradual thing in this um, episode yeah um you know and some of that that's with makeup and stuff too even just like where sure as it goes on you know he's like a little more shiny and sweaty and you know yeah. like haggard but that's also personality shaking and you know whatever um yeah even down no, but to it's the, his acting as well even yeah. down to the point where like when you rewatch it and i don't you may or may not have picked up on it i actually mm -hmm. didn't pick up on this till i'd seen it like several times mm -hmm. um early portions of the episode you see him just very nonchalantly scratch his wrist like just mm -hmm. once or twice and then stop and whatever and then you get to the point where like halfway or th two thirds of the way through he's he scratched it so much it. that yeah. like, you know, he's like chafing and rubbing it raw and stuff. So like, even yeah. just like those little things like yeah. that are, you know, I mean, well planned out probably in the script, but also, you know, that he as an actor has to be, has yeah. to be conscious of, but can't show to people that yeah. he's conscious of. Like no, he has he, to be conscious. He, he has to unconsciously be conscious of it kind of in a way, you know, like, or vice versa, whatever the right way the adverb goes there. Like, you know, the, 
Just the yeah, fact he, that he yeah. he he slots in those details without ever like tipping his hand. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He plays it at the right amount at the right time, you yeah. know. So enough so that when you go back, you go, "Oh, I can see what he's doing," right. but not so much that like you're like, you know, noticing that something's wrong before you're supposed to, you well, know. And and one of the things that actually catches me almost every time I watch it, so I even found like even the second time I was watching this, I'm like, "How can he? How can he not be seeing this?" And it's and it's not until you realize that he's going through this withdrawal that you think back to say, Oh, okay. So there's actually like when he's, when he's just sort of being argumentative and mean and, and whatever, like right. it, it may not actually be that he doesn't get it, but he might not be getting it because of the drugs, because of the withdrawal right. that he's going through. So like, even in the first scene where you see him, where he comes into Giles's house and is like, wait, I, I saw something, but I wasn't quite sure. And and there's kind of conflicting reports of that because then when he goes and talks to Forrest, it's like, well, I saw enough to know it's true. And it's like, well, wait, you were just arguing with Buffy about it. Right, Not right. maybe being true. But, but you get this, like, I actually, rather than that being like a defect of the script, I actually think that that enhances the way yeah. that it plays out with his withdrawal and with his stuff because it yeah. shows that he actually doesn't really know what's going on and and that's how i read it it's like he doesn't feel well so he's just pissed off at everybody (laughs) yeah like it's like something's wrong but he doesn't know what and And so and and his physical symptoms are getting like mixed up with his anxiety about (laughs) who's who to believe and and what's really and he's not and it's almost like i think he's misinterpreting the physical symptoms he's having as his own like yeah. anger and frustration. And it's not until later that he realizes, no, something's physically wrong too. You know? Yeah. Um, it's like when you're really anxious about something and you can get yourself worked up so that you feel physically nauseous over it, yeah. you know? And we've all had that without any chemical enhancement. So yeah. Well, and right. Yeah. Either you're like overtired or yeah. you're, you know, hungry like actually it reminds me of like those snickers commercials right. <laughs> of like exactly. you know like where it's like joe yeah. pesci and you're yeah. like man you here eat this you're saying and then it's right. like you're back to normal right. kind of thing. yeah yeah riley just needs a snickers <laughs> he just yeah. needs a snickers one. um no but it, no that's true it, no and that totally makes sense to me that his arguments aren't totally coherent because no. he's not in a good place you know physically or emotionally yeah it's um, like he's just He's literally being contrary for contrary's sake because he feels just crappy and, like you said, argumentative. Like he just well, and he's and and he's unsure of who to believe. So he's defending everyone and arguing every to everyone. So when he's with Buffy, he's angry at Buffy and defending Walsh. But when he's with Forrest, he's angry at the initiative and he's defending Buffy. And so, like his own confusion, he doesn't want to believe the bad any of that any of them have done bad things. Right. You know, he wants it to just, everyone is trying to do the right thing. Right. And like, why can't you all just see this? Why do well, you have to fight each other? You know? And that's why, yeah, I mean, and that goes right to the title of the Buffy episode, you know, goodbye Iowa, right? This is like yeah. this. The thing, loss of innocence. Yeah. Things you know? aren't sort of the honest, straightforward Midwest way that yeah. is sort of the cliche. I mean, like that may sure. or may not actually be the way it is in Iowa, but you know, like this is, you know, that's the, yeah. that's the stereotype. And that's um, like, even 
even Willow brings up, like, you know, and we've talked about, you know, Riley seems like the genuine, straightforward guy. And, of course, being that, he expects everyone to be that. And that's yeah. just not the way it is. So when there when there is deception, uh, especially deception from someone that he trusts so much, who is yeah. of something of a mother figure to him, mm-hmm. you know, it it does shake his world. And um, and Buffy and, says yeah. like it, you know, I feel like it it could get even heavier than it already is. Like because his whole world is sort of falling down. Uh, and the suggestion that not only is she deceitful, but that she's implicated him. He might be one of the bad guys, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. so not only did someone I trust lie, you know, and betray me, but he's been working for her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by extension, does that make him one of the bad guys, too? Right. Right. Um, or, alternately, you know, maybe... Walsh and Forrest are right, and it's Buffy who's the bad guy. So, like, I think he's just completely had his, like you said, his worldview just sort of turned upside down. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah, it's good. I like, I think that's a pretty, you know, good use of the character. I'm not sure what people are so upset about, but um, I liked the way that they, that they treated his character in this episode, so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I I think I've said this before too. Like, I don't. I don't get the hate on Riley, but there it is out there. So, I do need to acknowledge it. But I, I guess that's why I bring up moments like this where I think it sort of disproves that, where it actually shows sure. that there is some depth to him, and and that he is not sort of the straightforward, boring guy that he's yeah. always sort of made out to be. Um, yeah. But anyway. Uh, which is what Buffy says, right? He was supposed to be Mr. Right, that's what, the, well, the Joe. And, like. Well, so that's the other thing, too, is with Buffy, you know, so <laughs> so we found out that he wasn't just the straightforward, boring, boring boyfriend, that he was this military, you know, mm-hmm. demon hunter guy, you know, but also now we get, like, the, again, the, the good boy going bad. Like, we get him being kind of scary and violent in, and Mm. I know it's not, you know, his choice to be that necessarily, but, you know, Angel didn't necessarily choose to lose his soul either, you know, it doesn't necessarily change the fact. So you kind of have this fear once again, that is this going to be another repeat of the Angel or the Parker relationships of, you know, the boy you thought was nice turning on you you know um well i think unlike unlike those other examples at least in this episode we are given that glimmer of hope at the end where she says you know he doesn't have anything to hold on to but we find out he actually does he has Mm -hmm. the handkerchief or the the hair scarf or whatever that she gives him to um sort of bind his chafing wound there so um and I think of the those three examples, he's the least culpable. Um, certainly, mm. certainly more like more so than stupid Parker. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but even with Angel, you know, you have that idea that the original Angel 
chose to be the vamp like that the vampires are always somewhat responsible for their choice to be the vampire you know so mm. even if he didn't you know even if there's a separation between angel and angelus you still have a little bit of that responsibility you know for sure. that decision Whereas well and even Riley's human clearly been duped you know yeah yeah <laughs> i mean we saw before he was angel liam you know uh was even somewhat of a carouser and whatever. Right. Like he wasn't, right. he wasn't exactly the good boy, you know, right. even right. before he was turned. So I think so. of the three, Riley's the one who's been like manipulated and coerced and drugged mm-hmm. and all these yeah. other things, you know, and that's not his fault. So yeah, of the three, I think he's the, the most innocent really. Yeah. Um, but it does present, Potentially another relationship of Buffy's that uh, it was supposed to that be goes nice sour and boring and goes sour. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, without a doubt, that's all right there. Um, so, and, and we sort of alluded a little bit to like Forrest and stuff and and his, uh, you know, stuff there, but I, I so we get we get more conversations similar to ones we've already had between Forrest and, and Riley, right. Of about Buffy and sort of about the way that Riley is thinking, not just about Buffy, but just kind of about the initiative. It's like, you know, um, but the way it sort of escalates in this episode and I'm not a hundred percent sure how to take what, you know, the way Forrest acts, because we do learn that, it's not just Riley who's sort of going through withdrawal. So like, um, right. How much is, you know, how much is Forrest being affected by this stuff too? But, you know, right. Cause that's pretty extreme. What he says, like, you know, if she needed to kill her, maybe she needed killing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's exactly where I was going. Like he starts out with, you know, well, I wouldn't put it past Buffy to get on professor Walsh's bad side. And that leads to, maybe she needed killing Therefore, <laughs> like, yeah. like you know like yeah there's a pretty big leap from one yeah. you know w- one side or the other and this isn't just like hey you need to be careful with you know yeah who you whatever but whatever, yeah. um and we've also seen Forrest already last episode being uh you know a little bit jealous because Buffy gets chosen to go with Riley while he's you know and and you know it's Brad or whatever you know it's like well you're a team leader now. Like you actually got promoted and he's like right. still angry about it. Cause he's not, yeah. you know, with Riley, it's a girl yeah. who took his place kind of thing. So it's just like, you know, on the one hand it might just be simple jealousy and mm-hmm. whatever, but it, de- there's definitely an escalating thing yeah. going on here and, and causing actual bad blood. I mean, you know, when Forrest and the rest of the soldiers come in, it's like, they could see through the door. Like, I don't understand why there's any question about the fact that Adam was in the room throwing them all around. You know what I mean? Like, other than that, it's just Forrest wanting to be a jerk, you know, and using guns to, like, threaten her, you know, that, I mean... Yeah. Like, seems a little over the top and unnecessary there. So, uh, you know, just stuff like that where it's like... He... Right, right. But that's a good point. Like, Riley isn't the only one who's 
yeah been sort of you know given these chemicals so how much of that is them being sort of you know made more trigger happy and violent than they normally would be yeah yeah, yeah so i mean if we're not gonna not that they have no you know free will at all but if we're gonna give riley a free pass we should maybe not throw forest under the bus too badly yeah although i guess i would say that it just it it exacerbates things that have already been sort of percolating yeah uh, to the point where at least at one point he thinks that buffy might need killing so you know right. what i mean like whether that's drugs or his real thought you know i mean remains yeah. to be seen i guess but it's still yeah it, and it's still it's something that gets said yeah. <laughs> and yeah. something that yeah. yeah at least in the moment and we see you know they're hunting demons and he's like i you know i don't care if it's Polgar or not i'm gonna you know if i see a demon he's dead and like he needlessly smashes the tv <laughs> on the way out you know what i mean stuff like you yeah. know those sort of aggressive things like yeah does seem a little more aggressive than even than he's been in the past you know yeah uh, yeah. So, anyway, um, and the whole we take care of our own around here, you know, like, okay, mm. not really sure what's <laughs> going on there. Because presumably by that point, he's been fixed, right? Because I think all of the, isn't that what Angleman says? Like, they had all sort of been brought back except for Riley at that point. I guess so, yeah. Uh, so, so even like in that moment, like, you know, at the end there, there's still tension between them, even though Forrest is presumably back yeah. on the meds or whatever. Right. Uh, so who yeah. knows? Uh, you know, so even, I guess that goes to show that like, even if, even if sort of the initial confrontations between him and Riley were, you know, triggered by the medications, it doesn't mm. sort of all go away once he's back on the medication maybe yeah yeah or maybe those tensions are there right. maybe the medication the loss of that means that they lose the ability to control themselves but sure. but that, that doesn't necessarily make the tension go away you know right. mm -hmm. um yeah so anyway so we will we'll see yeah. um Anything else with Buffy and or Riley? Um, let's see. Sorry. So I think, uh, well, no, I mean, not specifically with Buffy. No, no I think <laughs> I, I, I was going to bring up the stuff about like Anya and Xander and, you know, like oh. the, you should get yourself a boring boyfriend like Xander that kind of right. stuff. But we have, right. we have them sort of later. So I'll, I'll leave that for now. Um, no, I think, I think just sort of at the end, you know, the frustration of how the fight goes with Adam, like you can tell sort mm. of is affecting her pretty badly. Like yeah. he's strong, he's quick, he's, you know, yeah. not going to be put down easily. And yeah. I mean, I'm, we're only in episode 14 of the season. So, right. you know, I mean, we've still got we're gonna take eight a episodes while. to go. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're not surprised maybe that yeah. things aren't going to be resolved quickly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, I would just, I would just sort of leave on that note that like she's frustrated by that um, and by the fact that she doesn't know what happened to Riley and, 
doesn't yeah. know where he is and and is sort of feeling her own feelings of wanting to just go in and fight her way to see him but yeah uh you know doesn't know where to how that will pan out at this point so there's a lot of sort of i think frustration on her part by the end of the episode of wondering where to go and what to do um mm-hmm. so yeah 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 and i like that they've got to the point where they are you know they do care about each other that they're past the point where she can just say you know what he's with the initiative that was a mistake cut it off you yeah, know, yeah like it's sort of well it's too late for that now she cares about him now she's worried about him and you know so it's not going to be so easy to just untangle that relationship sure um yeah and and i think you get the sense that it's the other way as well with his sort of you know caressing the scarf at the end too like that and and even like and and i'll go back to saying like i sort of want to i still feel the need maybe to defend mark lucas's portrayal here because (laughs) i do think that there are there are moments where you genuinely see that he wants to believe buffy and like yeah you know even though like it goes against sort of his training and his uh respect for walsh and even the medication and stuff um Mm -hmm. like when they're at the scene of the boy's death and you know buffy apologizes and then you know there's angry words said and she goes away like he kind of looks back at her like he's confused and like not quite sure what happened and like maybe even a little sorry for the way he just acted you know kind of like there's like i think there's several moments like that where where you get this idea of like he really does want to believe her and he really yeah like it's not just reactionary defending one way or the other but it's there's actually like something there but for some reason there's something you know the the withdrawal or whatever is preventing him from you know doing that so yeah yep um so actually, we did have Xander and and uh, Anya next on the list. So I guess I wasn't that far off. Um, yeah. No. No. Yeah. So we get Anya worried about, mm-hmm. kind of oddly proud of Xander's boringness, but then worried that that means that Buffy might steal him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and funny too because we know that in the past Xander has liked sure. Buffy like, right yeah, I mean, which there's... I don't know whether Anya knows that necessarily um yeah I don't know if we get a clear answer to that at least not at this point like I don't remember if that ever like comes up explicitly or if it's just something I don't think that it we has as the watcher yet. yeah knows yeah. about um so so yeah but there is I mean there is a, definitely a jealousy mm-hmm. it's sort of in the protective sense, right? Of the, yeah. he's mine, you can't have him. Yeah. Which she like almost literally says, yeah. uh, you know, that, that Anya wants to make sure that, you know, Buffy doesn't steal him. But I guess even, so even if that hasn't come up explicitly, like there does seem to be, she does seem to sense that there's something there. Right. And like, mm. Xander is totally willing to go help Buffy because he has helped her like enough times. And at this point there's not, you know, this is now two girlfriends later, right? Like we're Mm -hmm. after sort of his infatuation with Buffy. So, um, where that actually was 
a problem at times with Cordelia, even, you know, yeah, uh, his sort of helping with Buffy. Like, I guess, even though Anya may not know that he explicitly liked her back in the day, like, there's a sort of sense there, maybe, that mm-hmm. something's going to happen. And since Buffy is sort of having her own man problems, that might, you know, translate into something. And also... Yeah. She used to be a vengeance demon who specialized in uh, jilted women. So, like, yeah, yeah, it seems <laughs> reasonable that she'd be sensitive to that kind of thing. Right, um, right. So, but, yeah, lots of lots of sort of triggers there for her to sort of play off of. Well, and I think there's two things there too that you know, she's also worried about them going off, you know, together for you know, kind of potentially romantic jealous reasons but also Buffy could get Xander killed <laughs> easily right. right so there's also the sense of just protectiveness of right. you know really you cuz we just lauded Xander for his boringness and his averageness you know right. he's not the fighter or you know anything special really so you know sending him off to do the infiltration of the initiative with Buffy I can also see from just a plain old practical standpoint why Anya might be worried about that too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think there's a couple reasons for her to be nervous of Buffy's influence. You know. Yeah, it's not like he was in the Nam. <laughs> it's not like he was in the Nam. <laughs> I like uh, the 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 the. <laughs> right. Yeah. The no, Nam. that's what makes the sen- That's what makes yeah. the book. It's not like he was in the Nam. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, she's, I mean, right, so you can't have him in a boyfriend way or in a yeah. lead him to certain death way. Like, right. both of those things are not acceptable to her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't, can't you do something else to help him, like Xerox handouts or something? Yeah, that seems more the, the register that Xander should be working yeah. on. Yeah. And, and Anya's happy to keep him there. Right. Um, she kind of doesn't seem to really care much if he never becomes you know special or impressive past that point you know she's happy to have him you know you know be attentive to her buy her stuff spend time with her like that seems pretty much what she's looking for mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah so i mean not not a ton with xander and anya but um some good stuff there to show once again, that their relationship has definitely grown into something um, similar to like what you were saying about Buffy and Riley, that it's, you know, mm-hmm. I hurt when he hurts, and, you right. know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a possessive and protectiveness, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to that, so. Yeah. Anyway. How about Willow and Tara? Willow and Tara. So yes. we get... Uh, oh, well, wait. No, no, no. Before we go on, I also oh. want to talk about Xander and going into the initiative. Um, oh. So, like, I love... I mean, obviously, just lots of comic value there, which is yeah, what Xander's it, the always The retinal scan for. and... The retinal yeah. scan. The, ooh, come on. Yeah. I don't want to see that. Um, and the, you know, I totally get it now. Can I have sex with Riley? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, the, the... Which, when... 
Riley first bought Buffy in too, we got the sexual jokes about how big it was and yeah, you know, well, you never told me it was enormous and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. But then also, I like the sort of the subverting of the trope of hiding from people by you know kissing. Uh, yeah. You know, as they come in, and <laughs> Buffy points out how ridiculous that is, but like. Yeah. You've seen it in, you know, probably 50 different movies, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and of course, it's Xander who's after, you know, even despite Anya's whole, you know, you can't have Xander in a boyfriend way or Xander's like right there ready to take oh, one yeah. for the team. <laughs> That's not going to stop him. Yeah. Um, you know, because no. he would have had to do it, you know, in order to. For the cause. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so anyway, yes, lots of, lots of fun. So, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off, but I wanted to make sure we mentioned those rather no, humorous no, moments. No, fine. Maybe not that, that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, but I think, uh, at least, uh, worth mentioning. Yes. Uh, um, Willow and Tara. Willow and Tara. Talk so, about, uh, you know, euphemisms. She right? doesn't just always go over to Tara's to do spells. They they <laughs> they kind of speak exclusively in euphemism, don't they? <laughs> Willow and Tara. At this point, anyway. And it's it's funny because we're I, still flirting around the idea of their relationship. It's not quite text yet. It's all subtext. <laughs> yeah, like I, and I, it's, I've said this before. Like I've watched this show a number of times, so like I don't always remember what my first reactions were, but I don't. I don't know that I always picked up on them when I first mm. watched through. So, like, I don't know if because you sort of know maybe I'm the sure that's direction. I'm sure that's my read. Yeah, it's hard to... You know, to, that, that yeah. it's going, that, you know, maybe that's, uh, yeah, influencing it a bit. But um, I do, like, definitely watching it at least after you know what's going on. There's mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all there. Like, all of these are clearly very much... Yeah. In there intentionally, you know, with innuendo and all of that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, we, again, we get Willow sort of, uh, you know, kind of being apologetic about the way, you know, you know, Willow still seems like she's navigating exactly what she wants their relationship to be. You know, she keeps going back to to do spells apologizing for the fact that that's all they seem to do but of course what does she want to do another spell you know so there isn't there even though she says she likes hanging out besides that it seems like that's mostly their relationship at this point is the bonding over the magical stuff and tara kind of again being her kind of nice slightly doormatty self saying you know no, no, don't apologize. I love it too. Don't worry about it. You know, yeah. you don't have to say anything. Um, it's a friends with incantations sort of situation. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah, no strings, I promise. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the the interesting part of their little subplot is the sabotage that, you know, that Tara pulls. Because, which I read as... Uh, because she's worried about this mm. spell being too advanced, you know. Um, I, you know, so I read that as 
Tara being maybe a little bit savvier than Willow as to what exactly it is they're doing and either being worried about, you know, the maybe the dangers of the spell itself or their ability to actually pull it off, you know? So, mm -hmm. which I assume, I mean, I don't think they're afraid of trying and failing. I would assume that if she deliberately sabotages it, it's because if you screw this up, it could go bad. You know, maybe people, you know, could get hurt or it could get out of control or whatever, you know? Right. I don't think the problem is she's afraid to try a new spell. Um, it seems like she has some sort of idea that this is a bad idea if you're not ready for it. But maybe she doesn't quite have, you know, the guts or the heart to tell Willow that. So yeah. she'll just sort of, you know, s you know, sneak her little dust away and pretend like they just, you know, it just mm -hmm. didn't work. Um, yeah, we, that's how I read it. And And we've sort of gotten hints before that Tara has... Uh, you know, more of a magical background, right? Like right. that her mother used to do spells and, you know, her grandmother had a magic, whatever, such and such thing. Right. Um, magic tchotchke or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, so, yeah, like this isn't, like we definitely have gotten the sense that Tara sort of knows the world of magic mm -hmm. better than Willow does. And even, so when when Willow mentions oh we're yeah you know, we're gonna summon the goddess thespia and tara's like that's such a good maybe idea like yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. we don't want to do that but willow's like oh no we can totally handle it and you get you definitely get the sense that like we know how far willow has come but that she's still relatively a novice in all of yeah. this so like Willow's just sort of maybe putting on bluster, maybe trying to impress Tara even a little bit, mm -hmm. like with her nonchalance, you know, blasé sort yeah. of attitude yeah. about it. Um, yeah, it's beneath us. Like, right, exactly. Not even a question. You know, yeah. we are so much better um, than this, you know. And yeah, like you definitely get the sense that Tara doesn't want to outright, like, defy her. Right. You know, so that there's... So that she, yeah, so it does become sort of a sabotage and like a little white lie sort of thing of, mm. oh, I did everything you said to do, but it didn't work. Oh, shucks, you know. Yeah. Um, to Willow's consternation and confusion, of which she expresses to Giles and um, yeah. hard to say what he makes of it. Like it doesn't really, we don't really get a lot of conversation there, but just. Right. You don't get a sense from Giles that he had any reservation about performing that spell um, right right but his so, was like more like like kind of what you were saying like oh, oh you must tried, have just failed and, yeah, yeah yeah you know maybe you're not strong enough or maybe you don't maybe there's something you missed or something like mm -hmm. he doesn't say those things but you kind of get the opinion the uh you know the idea that that's what he's thinking maybe so mm -hmm. um so yeah interesting like like yeah it's we don't get a clear sense of why tara does it mm you know, probably for protection in some way, you would think, mm -hmm. because she at least thinks that it's not, maybe they're not ready for it, but we don't yeah. get that sort of explicitly. Uh, Which is it, interesting if you think of everything in this euphemistically. That's an interesting read, that you kind of have Willow maybe pushing them faster than they should go, kind of just <laughs> out of, you know, 
impressing Tara or whatever. Sure. And Tara being, well, I don't know that I'm ready for this, but I'm not going to say anything because I want her to like mm -hmm. me and everything. You know, it gives it a kind of slightly different edge if you look at it that way. You sure. Know. But, sure. I mean, you can just read it as the magic, too. So. Right. Um, so, yeah. I don't have a lot for Giles. Just the the line about, I will not squat in that dank hole. <laughs> His yeah, yeah. contempt for Xander's basement. Uh, um, right, and Spike gets all but offended. But it's good enough for Spike, it's, yeah. It's good enough for me, but not you. Well, yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the point. Um, um, and speaking of Spike. Speaking of Spike, um, well, we get him, well, the callback to, oh, I'm a friend of Xander. Oh, bugger it. I'm your guy. <laughs> yeah. um, he doesn't even bother. He's, he's tired of, like, even pretending anymore. Yeah. Um, and the big thing with Spike is the you know, getting kind of kicked out of the bar, you know, and and beat up by his fellow demons who seem yeah. to have some sort of demon code of conduct towards each other. Like, you know, they don't... Yeah. I mean, I have a feeling that that's kind of like the pirate code of conduct. Like, right. it's not, you know, it's about as far as you can throw them. But... Um, right, it's a code of conduct until you need it to until not be. Until you need it to not be. Yeah. But, <laughs> but there's a sense of him having crossed a line by accepting any help or giving any help to the Slayer, mm -hmm. you know, um, that gets him ostracized, I guess, from yeah. the demon community. So, um, you know, so he's persecuted no matter where he goes. Right. Yeah, no, <laughs> so he's... descent into pathetic... Well, and I know, think it's just sort continues. of another another thing that's pushing him back towards the Scoobies, right? Cause sure. like, yeah. you know, he now, now it's not even like he, you know, we, we sort of have talked this whole season about the progression of, you know, uh, they give him like more and more leeway till now he's just off living on his own sort of all the time now. And, yeah. but yet he still sort of comes over and hangs out once in a while, like, you know, at yeah. Giles's house. And right. so like, um, right, I didn't even think about that. What's he doing there? Like, yeah, like he's he just, just sort happens of there. to be there, right? Yeah. Um, That's funny. It didn't even occur to me. That just sailed right by me. Wow. So, well, no, because he was already there because they took the tracker out. So remember, this That's is sort why. of following off That's of why. the I last thought, episode. Okay, I, I was hoping there was a reason why I didn't just yeah. completely blank out. Okay. Yeah, because this is this is fairly immediately soon after after right. that episode. Yeah, because yeah, Buffy's there telling them right what happened. So, right, like yeah, she that makes sense. She left right from the caves where she was, you know, ambushed to run back to Giles's house. Which just before that, the tracker had been flushed, and so the right okay. Uh, so he does have a reason to yeah, be there. So he is there legitimately, but. Um, Still, I mean, again, the whole fact that he even goes to them, right, for help. Like, yeah, they're the ones who are willing to help him. And now, like, so, like, he was so excited about, you know, getting his own crypt and everything. And he's kind of out on his own. But then you have, you know, the demons sort of ostracizing the initiative guys still, you know, coming around, kicking down mm -hmm. the place, breaking his TV and all that kind of stuff. So it's like all these little things are like now going from 
<clears throat> you know, originally sort of being their prisoner and getting more and more freedom. It's like, yet even in his freedom, he's still sort of being forced to deal with them. So like, yeah. because nobody else will. So, yeah, you know, you know, I like his little parting sentence to Riley of, you know, well, if you're trying to kill the Slayer and they kind of gives him thumbs up, you know, double thumbs up. Yeah. But it's like, he actually may need to rely on the Slayer if like demons are actively seeking him out and beating him up now, you know, like, yeah. Uh, he's no longer just uh, safe on his own kind of thing. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. All of the above. So, um, okay. yeah. <laughs> no, I was gonna. I almost. I was almost gonna say something about the next episode, but we'll mm. we'll get there. It actually. We don't. I'll. I'll say this. We don't pick up right on this storyline again. Mm. Uh, okay. Immediately, like, like there's some st- other stuff that sort of happens. Okay. Interesting. Anyway, yeah. So on to Doctor Who. Yeah. Let's kill Hitler. Let's. Let's. What a what a provocative title, and it, this is, is so. Yeah. This is this is the classic, like philosoph- philosophical question, right? right? Like if you could go back in time, and yeah. kill someone who is evil, yeah. you know, would it's you do it? Hitler, and yeah. you know, what sort of ramifications would it have? Like, would killing Hitler actually cause something worse to happen? You know, right? Like, would it would it make uh, you know, maybe the rest of the Nazis become even more, uh, you know, incensed and, you know, some other leader would come up and lead them to actual world domination rather than right. really attempted world domination or something like that, you know. You, right, you, and also the question of if you kill someone before they've committed the crimes, which you're killing them for, sure. what are the ethics of that, you know? Is it, is it justified? Like if you kill Hitler when he's a was when he's a kid, you know? Yeah. Is that you know, an ethically sound position? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah. So you're right. I mean, this is the classic time travel question, um, which is summarily dismissed <laughs> yeah <laughs> about which, five minutes in <laughs> we just shove hitler in the closet frustratingly enough is never really yeah. fully addressed um although yeah, i um, i think i i say frustrated actually i mean the way the episode plays out like you do sort of just forget about it i don't think it's yeah. that big of a deal like it i guess i mean i understand sort of the the plot reason like you need to go back to a time and place where there's a serial killer who this, you know, League of mm-hmm. Justice or whatever Justice Department is hunting down um, and put it right. so that you can put the doctor and Mills slash River, you know, mm-hmm. in the same place or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's like it could have been anyway. It could have been like Pol Pot, you know, could have uh-huh. been Attila the Hun, maybe like, I mean, sure. you know, like the fact that it was Hitler, like. Obviously, no, there's a there's a uh, you know a, a gut reaction you know to that because yeah. he's sort of the modern day worst of the worst. But there yeah, are any number it, of he's there for the thrill of that title, um, right? 
And yeah. of course, being an English show, like probably even more so than in America, you know what I mean? Sure. Not that we sure. like Hitler more than the English do per se, but there's, you know, we weren't the ones getting air bombed right. <laughs> by Hitler. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's probably even more of a visceral reaction, um, you know, from that perspective. Yeah. No, a couple more thoughts on the title. Um, definitely provocative. And, um, so I mentioned last time that the previous episode was that little mid-season finale. So this one comes back in August mm. um, as the kind of half-season premiere. So they end it, rather than with the trailer, they end it with that title, you know, The Doctor Returns and Let's Kill Hitler. Um, and, you know, which you kind of feel like the episode is written to that title, that the idea was let's just put the craziest title we can think of that'll get people excited at the end of it. Um, and, you know, so then the challenge for Moffat is to write an episode to sort of match that title. Um, yeah. Or to, you know, to be as crazy as that title might suggest. Um, and he actually said that uh, that title, he said, we've had more public interest from Let's Kill Hitler, just those three words, than any trailer we've ever done. Hmm. So that kind of putting that you know like uh really kind of cheeky brazen idea into the title yeah. caused this kind of it, it hit this nerve <laughs> mm -hmm. which is interesting and i'm going to bring that up next season because his realization of that fact has some implications for you know, uh -oh. the next phase of the story. Is there a whole slew of titles similar to uh, Let's Kill Hitler? Well, I'll just say that that kind of becomes sort of the model for season seven is big, uh, bold concepts in okay. story form. You know, hmm. so, yeah, we're going to have some... It's They're not all just... There's a couple of them which are, like, just crazy titles. Um, but just the idea of, like, having, like you know, almost big sellable idea per episode is sort of yeah. the model that he uses. Um, they're, they're sort and, of cinematic one-liners. Exactly. Yeah. And we start getting things like a movie poster for each episode to advertise it and things like ah. that. Um, so this, so his kind of realization that this is like, this generates excitement um, has some implications for later on the road. Um mm. But also I wanted to bring up the fact of um, something that Paul Cornell said about uh, related to the Hitler idea that, you mm -hmm. know, Paul Cornell who wrote Human Nature, it, mm -hmm. of the classic doctors, he famously said that his favorite was Sylvester McCoy because to him, he was the only one of the classic doctors that he could imagine walking in a concentration camp that like the others had a degree of removal from like real world horror. And for him, the seventh doctor was one that he could imagine putting in that situation and it not seeming absurd. Um, and so it's interesting to me that Moffat actually kind of tries to do that, not with the concentration camp, but it is kind of a brassy idea to, face the doctor you know with hitler um and i think you could read it a couple different ways whether 
how they handled it, you know, how to take it. Because on the one hand, you know, does it undermine, you know, is it a complete letdown that the doctor meets Hitler and does absolutely nothing about it? They just sort of put him in the closet and shush him and forget about him. Like, you know, the idea that Doctor Who could ever come up with any sort of answer to the Holocaust, you know, it's sort of a ridiculous idea. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it feels like it would cheapen the Holocaust to have the doctor, you know, sort of try to take it on. Um, yeah. You could imagine a really awful variation of, like, the fires of Pompeii, where you find out that, like, the doctor causes the Holocaust, and that's just, like, an awful idea. So it's almost mm-hmm. like better to just shove Hitler in the closet and not even go there. <laughs> right, right. So right. I kind of have mixed emotions about how to how to feel about that. Um, but it's an interesting idea. It's like one of the only times I think that they put the doctor anywhere near that kind of, you know, human depravity, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is interesting that it just becomes a non-issue like you know i think hitler is there as a kind of interesting parallel for the idea of the war criminal and everything but mostly the episode's not about that the the episode's this like crazy adventure with river and everything so yeah yeah Yeah. well let's talk about the crazy adventure stuff okay with river and mel's Mm -hmm. so all right um i texted you this and i i'm still sort of baffled by how easily mel's slips under the radar of it's true isn't it uh like totally not even realizing that she is melody um and i mean i would probably be you know remiss if i didn't mention that It, it might even be sort of because of the race thing you know what i mean like sure the color of her skin just sort yeah. of never occurred to me Throws that, you off yeah uh i don't think we've had any non-white doctors right have we no um no and you'll notice that in this season we've already had a mention of the corsair who apparently yes. could change gender was a, right so now we've got you know in canon in quotes canon um confirmation that you know you know ethnic race i guess and ethnicity can change as well Mm -hmm. um so again hinting at future possibilities of more open casting of the doctor i think sure Um, sure so i like that about moffat that he's sort of going out of his way to open those doors you know yeah yeah so yeah and so you know probably that should be embarrassing on my part, but you know, it is what it is. I um, totally, I, you know, I told you the, I think what was spoiled for me was that the river's relationship to Amy and Rory. Um, and so I knew that watching a good man goes to war and I still didn't get this. <laughs> so, sure. you know, um, and how could you not like her name is Mel's. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, and I think, I, you know, you maybe totally I'll, I'll play the American <laughs> card here because we don't really use that. You know, Mel maybe, you know, but not Mel's right. wouldn't yeah, be like sure. a common uh, shortening of the name here in America. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'll it's plead ignorance on that front. It's just enough that it deflects your attention. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it could just be that the episode is so 
the beginning of the episode is so crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and you the just other... don't even have time to think about it. There's some criticisms of these episodes. I think they're valid that we can talk about, but I like just how like nutty it is. Um, especially in that beginning, you know, sure. you, that you're just introduced to this bonkers character and you learn about her life so quickly that I think you just don't have time to process what's going on. One, well, and I was going to say too, so, okay, so you have this, you know, uh, Amy or Amelia and then Amy or, you know, is this really good friend with Mel's and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, okay, so even if you did think about, oh, well, that's similar to Melody, I wonder. And then you get the explanation of, oh, well, yes, I named her after my best friend and it's like well of course you know that makes sense like yeah you know that happens and then you get the absurd revelation from the doctor of you named your daughter after your daughter like yeah then you're like oh okay um so anyway yes she very easily slips under that radar um so well done i think that's Mm -hmm. not that's not a criticism that's a kudos you know it's yeah uh very very interesting that they've been able to do that um yeah the way so the way the episode starts out of them doing their crop circle right of calling Mm -hmm. the doctor and he appears and whatever and then you get mel coming through like with a gun and whatever like that's kind of strange to me Mm -hmm. um it gets them all in one place. And I guess, so I guess the idea is that she somehow knows that Amy and Rory are going to meet the doctor. And so she follows them or something like, I guess I'm not clear on like, so, okay. You know, That's there's the whole montage, like yeah. you know, stuff of that. She's clearly been obsessed with the doctor and we find out later why, cause you know, mm-hmm. she's supposed to sort of kill him. And, I don't know, like, it's it's strange because, like, she's young enough when sort of we first see her that, like, you kind of wonder how they were able to condition her that well, you know, for mm-hmm. that, you know, few number of years or whatever. But I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know how old she is, I guess, when we first see her, but. I mean, the fact that she is, like, able to survive on her own as a little girl somehow find out who her parents are get to them and then build this whole life yeah suggests to me that she's more than just your average little girl that there's that the conditioning and we got some of that like that she's incredibly strong she can fight out of the spacesuit and everything so that it conditioning goes beyond just the brainwashing but you know it enhances her well i don't know how much of it is because she's sort of part time lord you know maybe mm. time lords grow at a different rate you know so they can take That's care true. of themselves more quickly than you know an average like 5 year old can or something um or how much of it is she self sufficient because of her conditioning yeah, they're um, like hobbits. They're right. You know, not actually adults until they're like thirty something. Right, exactly. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of how I read it. It's like because, like, otherwise, what she's homeless in New York. She's a little girl. 
And really, she somehow, like, that only makes sense to me if she's sort of a superhero. You know, that she's intelligent and capable beyond yeah. what Which, a I normal mean, kid would be. We already know that she grows up to be that. So it's not right. like so that, that makes big sense. of a yeah. leap to think yeah. that she was always sort of that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I mean, like, I don't. <laughs> All of those are valid explanations, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. um, there was so, something I read. Oh, sorry. sorry okay. go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I, I, I'm trying to suss out because, like, like again, like, okay, so maybe not. Maybe, you know, it's not that big of a deal of how she finds them sort of in the beginning or whatever, but... Mm-hmm. Um, you do get this idea of like the obsession with the doctor, yeah. like then, then becomes, uh, like, okay, so she's not going, like, she doesn't quite, she doesn't shoot him immediately. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to, she still wants to go on. Like she it's kind of weird. Like, okay, so this is classic, maybe stalker thing, right? It's like. Mm-hmm. She's going to kill him, but she also wants to be a part of his life. You know, it's like this this uh, dichotomy, you know, yeah. sort of, of like she, in her mind anyway, she's built up this huge relationship she either has or is going to have with the doctor. But also like her whole goal is to end the doctor's life. <laughs> so right. like right. those are sort of mutually exclusive paradigms. Um but yeah, so like she wants to go on the TARDIS and she wants to see how it works, but also then she like fires the gun into the TARDIS and so like makes it right. so it doesn't work and um, that kind of thing. Um, and also is like directing the doctor of where to go. Like, oh, well, what the heck? Let's go kill Hitler since I have this gun. Like, right. Uh, you know, so. Um. I, well, this actually brings up what I was thinking of a couple of minutes ago because in a, I was reading, you know, a couple of different blogs and stuff about, you know, and people's comments and things. And one um, suggestion that I kind of like is uh, this obsession with the doctor. Um, he, the, the things that she points out in her, like, snarky comments to the teenage or to the the teacher are you know all the kind of bad things that you feel like the doctor should have been able to stop and didn't you know so hit what the biggest factor in hitler's rise to power is that the doctor didn't stop him you know and so and then we get her saying let's go and kill hitler um and the other one she says is saving the titanic you know the Titanic sank because the doctor didn't save it. Um, so somebody, you know, pointed out that it, this is interesting kind of in light of her history with what she knows of the doctor, you know, and, you know, because she's got, she's been sort of brought up and conditioned by Kovarian and the silence who see the doctor as this, bad guy you know Mm. um that they're trying to bring down so she has this idea that he's you know 
not necessarily the good guy of the story. Um, and so this person was sort of suggesting this idea that part of her obsession is with the doctor's inability or unwillingness to prevent bad things from happening. Um, and, you know, the fact that she finds Amy and Rory seems to suggest that she knows something about who she is. Um, and so maybe her not, I think the suggestion the person made was the fact that she doesn't kill him right away, that she, you know, holds him at gunpoint and says, let's go kill Hitler. This idea of, can she force him to undo the bad things? Can we go back and rewrite time? You know, because maybe her own history could be sort of unwritten or redeemed in that way. Um, you know, I don't know how much of that is in the episode itself, but the fact that she keeps coming back to forcing the doctor to save Hitler, um, or or kill Hitler, sorry. Um, I don't know. <laughs> you Not you save saved Hitler. my life. I assure yeah. you it was by accident. Uh, we, didn't, we, we cannot have just saved Hitler. Um, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's interesting. Anyway, this, this, this tension between does she want... Does she love him or does she hate him? Does she want to kill him or does she want to marry him? That she is confused and she's conflicted about, you know, she's very like Riley, I think, in that way. She's been conditioned and she doesn't necessarily know who to believe um, mm -hmm. or what, you know. I think she's a little bit further gone than Riley, you know, but it's that same sort of idea of what she's been told versus what she's now finding out, you know, and her having to negotiate between those two things. Um, so the idea that she doesn't just kill him when she sees him, that she forces him to take her in the TARDIS on an adventure, you know, suggests that maybe she's playing with the idea that he might surprise her. She's allowing him to sort of She's not just cutting him off. She's letting him kind of do his thing, maybe, to see what he'll do. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, so, like, there's also a dichotomy there between, so, okay, she, like, we know from the last episode that, like, the whole idea is that she'll be used as a weapon to, you know, a weapon for what? To kill the doctor. Mm. And, um... So even though we don't necessarily know who Mel's is at that point in the beginning, like when we find that out, you know, who she is, um, that she's Amy and Rory's daughter and realize that she has been conditioned in this way and sort of knows all these things about the doctor and has all of these uh, insights into who the doctor is and whatever, but then, you know, gets to meet him. It's like, you know, there's also that thing of, not from the stalker perspective, but almost, uh, I almost want to say like Stockholm syndrome, but like, she's sure. not, she's not, uh, you know, kidnapped by him, obviously, but like that he's been a subject of her life for so long. And in a sense, the sole purpose of her life mm -hmm. for so long that one, there might be a hesitance to, end that purpose immediately mm -hmm. upon meeting mm -hmm. him. But also that, that there's a, there's a sense in which she already does love him because she knows him so intimately. Mm -hmm. uh, if, 
she's been sort of fed all of this information and detail about who he is and you know even if the purpose of the pe you know the people feeding her that was to get her to kill the doctor that doesn't necessarily mean that that purpose is her purpose you know like that there may that there are these like you said these conflicting feelings that she's been told and conditioned to kill him for so long but also given all this information that has sort of made her respect him and want to get to know him personally rather than just as the subject of a dossier so to speak well right because they are kind of brainwashing her but she escapes and she goes and hangs out with amy who mm-hmm. tells her all the fairy tales about, right. you know, her raggedy man and what a hero he is, you know, and that he's the best ever. And, so Right. She wants to know if he's hot. Right. <laughs> so, which, like, even implies, like, even at a young age, like, that there's more than just, yeah, yeah. The, he's the doctor and he needs to be killed, sort of, that's going through her mind. It's, right. you know is he attractive? Is he someone I would like, you know, like Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Um, so we get to the point of the revelation of who she is right before she regenerates. Mm. Um, and then she regenerates into river song Mm -hmm. or proto river song. Like she doesn't call herself river song yet. So, Right, but um, the I guess, river that we know, yeah. I guess, yeah, like, she looks like River and all that. And I like the little hint, too. Maybe I'll take it down, you know, my age down a bit, little by little, gradually, just so as not yeah. to scare anyone. So, like, obviously calling back to the fact that she's younger in earlier in episodes. Silence of the Library, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Even though she's older by right. our standards, you know. Right, right. Yeah, for anybody who's concerned about the fact that, you know... River's a couple of years, you know, aging the wrong way. Yeah. Don't worry, Moffat addressed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, I don't know that we're ever... I, I don't guess know anybody was that worried about it. I but, guess it's you know. canonical now that they can sort of age themselves or de-age themselves artificially. I don't know. Like, I Time don't Lords know. can. River seems to think she can anyway. Yeah. But yeah, no, I... I, I That's funny. Like, I wouldn't have really cared about that per se, but like, you know, it is kind of a funny little callback to the the fact that she's a few years older now. Mm -hmm. Uh, The actress is than the character perhaps should be. um, So yeah, the, the, so her, her, uh, you know, regeneration and stuff. And, and that's all pretty funny. Like, the you, we get another reference to The Graduate. Uh, you know, right. hello, Benjamin. And, and Yeah, with the shot under her knee. I'm so mature. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. The, Which right. is the classic poster of The Graduate. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the Dustin Hoffman framed by Anne Bancroft's leg. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, her sort of running around and checking herself out and what do you think of that the river's sort of obsession with her you know uh and everything. it reminded me of matt smith's own regeneration when he's like "Ooh, fingers and hair you know and like like mm-hmm. he's he 
in the middle of a flaming TARDIS, you know, he's like mm-hmm. checking out his own body and making sure he has all his parts and all of this kind of thing. Um, yeah. We, I mean, and the fact that we don't, I don't know that we get exactly how many times she's regenerated before, mm-hmm. but we know she's regenerated once, but it's been, it was when she was a little girl. Right. So like, this is the first time as an adult regenerating. So she doesn't mm-hmm. really like when it happened before, she probably didn't really understand what was going on. What was going and, on. Yeah. You know, so there's a whole new sensations to it. So I, I kind of liked it. Like I, mm-hmm. I thought it actually fit well. I mean, may, might be a little flighty and mm-hmm. uh, whatever for what we know river you know, as we know her later. Mm -hmm. But I thought for like the first few moments after regeneration, like she's feeling renewed and vivacious and, you know, like does all the sort of thing. I mean, again, we saw Christopher Eccleston playing with his ears and could have been worse, you know, like, like there does sort of seem to be a recurring, at least for the new who, a recurring, um, you know, motif of checking out your body and making sure all your parts are there and seeing, you know, finding your new outfit, which she does by, you know, holding up a Nazi banquet, (laughs) you know, like, so I thought that was perfectly fine. Like I didn't really, Mm -hmm. I, I take it you're asking because maybe there are people who have a problem with that. Well, so (sighs) there's, a line of criticism, which I don't know how widely held it is, but it's very vocal. Um, okay. That those those tend to be, yeah, those go the, hand in the hand. Best like kind. maybe maybe not a lot of people have it, but they're very the best kind. You know, it's hard to say, but um, I think this is probably where it really got started. Mm-hmm. The line of criticism about Moffat's uh, alleged misogyny or sexism um and uh i don't know that it's any one thing it seemed to be i i kind of put this as ground zero um because i think there's a bunch of things in this episode that kind of i can see why people maybe got upset and but then there's a lot after this that people seem to be kind of looking for ammunition um so i mean and it's not just any one... I feel like if it was just maybe one thing in this episode, it wouldn't have caused such a storm. But, you know, so between, you know, Rivers focusing on a dress size when she regenerates, you know, and kind of... And I think not just her checking out her new body, but being sort of especially focused on its appearance and attractiveness and everything. Um But, I mean, you have, I guess I'll just run through the list. I mean, there's also, I think, the kind of lack of attention to the fact that, I guess, the trauma of what Amy's been through. Um, You know, not maybe much time is spent on the loss of her baby and how she feels about that, how upset she might have, like, we sort of cut to several months later when maybe she's, Mm -hmm you know, we're past the trauma and everything. Um, there's some lines which, once you point them out, are kind of troublesome. Like, the doctor's 
you know, it, is she trying to kill you? Well, she's a woman. Like, apparently that's what women do is try to kill you. Um, and Rory has lines about, uh, you know, I'm trapped yes, inside a robot. Yes, but he does say, you know, hey, I just got poisoned or something, right? Like, what, yeah. you know, like, like he knows. He okay, catches sorry. himself. Like, like he catches himself and he sort of knows he's wrong and is trying to justify it. But I don't, yeah. like, I don't think we as an audience are meant to even Agree let him sort of him. get away with that. Like, I, yeah. I got the feeling for that particular line, and I want you to go on, but I'm just saying sure. like that particular line anyway, like, I feel like that one is like, like, it's actually kind of acknowledges that it's not something that he should be saying. And right. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So. Yeah, and I mean, I think Rory has a couple lines about I'm trapped inside a robot replica of my wife. I'm trying not to see this as a metaphor. It's just any one of these, I think you can kind of explain away. I think, unfortunately, in this episode, there's a lot of that. And hmm. it, and it, you know, got a fair amount of people upset. Um, and ever since then, <laughs> there's a lot of people who have a lot of issues with Moffat. Um, and I think this is around the same time that um, a scandal in Belgravia came out with the Irene Adler, his take on Irene Adler. So you start to get this idea of, according to some Moffat's obsession with the psychopath dominatrix type, you know, okay. that his idea of, you know, a strong, sexy woman is River Song and Irene Adler, you know, um, you sure. know, I, I feel very conflicted because on the one hand, in individual instances, I can see why people, you know, why certain lines maybe should have been cut or why like things were a mistake. I don't know that that line of criticism holds up all the time. Um, and I think people get very passionate about, you know, Doctor Who, and they start looking for ways to pick fights. Um, and, yeah, Moffat gets a lot of unfair criticism thrown his way, you know. But anyway, I wanted to, kind of like you said with Riley, it's a, it's a vocal line of criticism, so I think it's at least worth acknowledging. Um, sure. You know, um, and like anyone, like, there's... You know, I think Moffat's shown with Amy um, and with, you know, his ability to write, you know, Rose and Madame Pompadour and Sally Sparrow and Donna and, you know, lots of other characters that we've seen that he doesn't just write one type of strong woman. Like, that he writes a varied amount. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So... I guess you could criticize whether he should like that type of dominatrix character, you know? But I don't think... I think it's demonstrably true that that's not the only kind of woman that he writes or values. So, um, you know, I think people get a little carried away with themselves. Yeah. I mean... I... I don't know. Like, even that line from, like, Rory about being inside a robot replica of his wife. Like, I see that as more of a jab at Rory than women. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I don't... Like, we get lots you, you of stuff Philip about... Philip Sandifer agrees with you. In his blog, 
he's pretty much come to the defense of Moffat against a lot of criticism. Yeah. And that's kind of his line is that a lot of Moffat's humor is self-deprecating. Um, and Right. And, you I know. mean, so Rory, like, I mean, you know, we're not her boys. Yeah, we are. Okay, yeah, we are. Like, you know what I mean? Like, th that kind of thing. Or, like, the fact that he's Rory Pond. He's, you know, it's mm -hmm. not... You know, and one time he calls, uh, you know, Amy, Amy Williams, but then it's like, no, she's Melody Pond. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like, so I don't, we get a lot of these little things of where like, you know, with Rory sort of realizing that he doesn't wear the pants in the relationship, so to speak, you know what I mean? But, but to play devil's advocate here for a second, does that make... River, not River. Does that make Amy a variant on this fetishized idea of the dominant woman? I think that's where the criticism would take that. Well, I mean, go, okay, you know? so even in this episode, Amelia says, you know, I am one of the boys. You know, like, I mean, I, I guess I'm skeptical. <laughs> like, I don't. I'm, no, and I'm. I'm it's I'm probably because I'm a advocate. man. You know, but I I don't see that no as no. being like my ten year old daughter considers herself to be a tomboy. Am I gonna tell her no you're not, you have right. to be a girl? Like no, why would I say that? Like I mean, yes, okay, Moffitt's a guy writing for, you know, a woman in that instance, and so like you could say, Well, he should write her in this way. But then, and this is, I've, I actually recently made this criticism of a Heinlein book uh, in, in support of the book against criticism. Uh, I won't go over the full situation, but basically, you know, um, in, in his book Friday, there's certain ways that, you know, the main character reacts that some people feel aren't the ways a woman would react in that or should react in that situation. And it's like, well, wait a minute. So you're criticizing Heinlein for having his female character react in a way, but you're saying that the criticism is that she doesn't act the way you expect her to react. So like, who's actually worse in that instance, the writer or your expectation of how a right. woman should act, right. you know? So like, I don't know. I get like, I can, I can understand saying like, well, you know, we want, we want our female characters to be well-rounded and respected for these certain things and blah, blah, blah. But on the same time, like that's, I don't actually think that that makes for interesting characters. Like if you're writing a story, uh, you know, about these people, okay, sure. Maybe Moffat has a type. Joss Whedon has been crit criticized similarly for having mm -hmm. a type and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Okay, that just means that you have a type. That doesn't mean that the characters in these stories are bad characters or that sure. you can't gain value from those things or that every way that character acts is or is not misogynistic. Like, there may be times when, yes, like, it could be a certain form of misogyny coming out. But... <sighs> That's more how I feel is that at the end of the day what I want is variety. You know, I want female characters to be as varied yeah. and complicated as male characters. Cause I think that's more usually the problem 
is mm -hmm. that there are usually more male characters than female. And so women end up playing certain roles, sure. you know, and I think that's how we get like stereotypes. Um, so the goal for me would be to have like just equality on both sides in terms of the amount and the kind of stuff that they get to do. So, you know, does Moffat have kind of, you know, a type of character that he likes to write? Yeah, but he also, I think, has shown that he can write other characters, you know. And, um, and I you would know, say... And, and he's done that sufficiently. I certainly don't think the only good Moffat characters are all of one type. Yeah. Um, so, although occasional lines might rub me the wrong way or I wish he'd cut them, I don't think he's consistently misogynistic or stereotypical i think occasionally he writes stupid lines and a lot of writers do um sure and a lot of writers have blind spots and that's not to and excuse there... the bad lines but it's just realistic it's the way it is yeah yeah and there are women writers who write misogynistic yeah, lines too so you yeah. know i mean i think that's you know and you can argue about well maybe that's just because that's the way the business is. And, you know, they're just playing in the sandbox that men have built and that might all be valid. And I'm not saying it's not. So getting back to sort of the idea, like I, I actually, so I was, I've been sort of also while I was ranting and while I was listening to your, you know, uh, response to that. Um, like, I also think like, okay, yes. In, in certain cases I can see like similarities between Amy and, river so is that and uh, you know your question was like well is that another example of sort of this of amy being dominatrix but hey there's a genetic link between them right so like yeah. maybe there's a good story yeah. explanation for that sure. on the one hand um but also like yeah there's a I spunkiness also, to it that clearly comes from amy i think yeah but also i would say there is a sense of well, there. I mean, I, th there's also definitely ways in which they are not the same, too. Mm -hmm. So, like, like if you want to say, if you want to compare characters and say, hey, these are the ways that, you know, such and such characters are the same. Like, I'm all for that. Like, I like mm -hmm. those sorts of comparisons. But I think to not then sort of point out the ways that they're different would right. is also a disservice or at least acknowledge that there are differences. Um, yeah. And even, like, we were before we even started podcasting, we weren't even talking about Dr. Who and Buffy. We were talking about the new Hobbit movies and how dissimilar in many ways they are to the books, but then how also they bring in elements of other parts of Tolkien's writings mm -hmm. that, you know, actually might make them more in line with Tolkien's overall world than if you just look at the Hobbit and that kind of, so like there's different ways to look at those sorts of things. And to just yeah. compare like, you know, the movie to the book and say, well, these things are similar and these things are not similar. Like that does disservice to both of them sort of mm -hmm. in a way. So I don't know. I guess I feel like I'm sort of wandering all over the place with this. I, I guess, I mean, I can sort of understand why people make those comments. I tend to think people who look for those sort of things are being overtly touchy. I think specifically in the case of Rory, you can make the argument that 
all along we've been picking on Rory because he's, you know, yeah. Rory Pond and he's Amy and, and multiple instances in this episode of the same thing that we've been getting all along. And I, I see that as sort of being fun and picking on guys. I mean, if you want to flip that around and say, well, that's Moffat writing to a type. Okay. But like, what would you rather have? Would you rather have him writing Amy as sort of a, what, what would you call like maybe a typical woman character who's more submissive to Rory? Like, I don't like, what's the alternative to that? Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. what that looks like or what you would prefer instead. Not you, but like people, you know, who make this argument. would. Yeah. I mean, I think what we all prefer is sufficient nuance. The question is, does this achieve it? You know? So, um, you know, I think there are people on, both sides of the line obviously and and i guess um, i guess what i'm saying is like those like proof texting certain lines doesn't mm -hmm. prove one way or the other whether it does or doesn't achieve it and that's that's kind of where i'm i'm going with all that right and i think that's where i think that's where the criticism gets um off track is they start to then hunt for lines to prove their point and i'm not saying that the moments that they find are like necessarily always defensible but it seems like starting here and progressing as we go on and i don't want to spend a ton of time on this because i think probably it's not that interesting at the end of the day like i think probably both of us are going to agree that for the most part moffat is a sufficiently nuanced writer you know Mm -hmm. but um you know i think some people start to kind of once they've formed this opinion about him they they do then go out of their way you know to catch him on any little mistake that they can um which has proven to be a little frustrating (laughs) sure sure uh but anyway i for me in terms of those criticisms this episode might be for me, the worst offender in that it comes the closest to, I can see the points that people are making. Um, it's the one to me where those like little bits are the most obvious. Um, part of it might be because, um, this episode was actually very late. This script and the finale were really late. Um, you know, we've already split the season, you know, Mm -hmm. because of production delays and actually, this along with the finale were the last episode shot of the season. So they like went ahead and started working on other episodes while this one was still being worked on. So there's a question of, you know, was this a little bit rushed? Um, And with another polish or two, you know, maybe some of those like, you know, kinks could have been smoothed out and everything, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which is, I think a valid, you know, we don't know. Um, what he would have changed if he went back and had some more time to think about it. Um, but I don't think there are any episodes that ever kind of, to me, you know, get into that, you know, murky water quite as bad again. Um, sure. Other people would disagree with me, but that's my opinion. <laughs> to me, this is kind of the, the well, spark. Well, you're clearly of, a misogynist. I'm clearly a misogynist. Um <laughs> But to me, this is the spark of that criticism. And then after this point, it seems like 
it, it it's a lot of you know coming back to this you know and pulling this forward into other episodes and things um but you know mm. Mm. good to acknowledge it at least i think because i don't want to just dismiss it you know yeah. and there are and there are certain there are the occasional scenes or lines that you know bug me so um you know i think it's at least worth yeah sure i don't i mean i don't know probably because i'm a man i i i didn't pick up on those maybe quite in the same way and i i don't mean to say that flippantly or anything like i it very well may just be because i'm not as sensitive to it and well and i'll i'll plug Sandifer's blog again because he's someone who is male and who identifies as feminist in the sense that he cares about you know mm-hmm. women's issues and does try to pay attention to that stuff and actively defends Moffat to his detractors online um yeah and I... and and with thoughtful criticism not just as a knee-jerk mm-hmm. you know no one's allowed to you know uh criticize the master kind of thing so right, right, right. um for good intelligent discussion you know i would go to his blog um sure and and like i said i mean i mean joss whedon who you know another self-identified in, male feminist and <laughs> a self-identified male feminist who has been invited to speak at many feminist events you sure. know like equality now and that kind of thing yeah. uh has frequently by some people being called misogynistic and you and, know, you know discuss and I, that and I he, don't... his his characters are written in certain ways and that's not to say that like his characters are always fine and that there's never problems with scripts and that you know yeah characterizations aren't whatever but like i i don't know i i guess for me i prefer to think about like the story as it is not how some people would have preferred it be written you know what i mean like well and i think it's tough because to say you know i don't want to just miss it as like well they're trying or well you know misogyny is a reality so we shouldn't you know pick on everybody like i think that that would be wrong it's something we should notice and should you know be actively trying to you know avoid or or criticize when we notice it but also the fact of life is that people are not perfect and even active self-identified feminists you know are gonna not do everything perfectly you know um well you know and and you know so it's not the end of the world (laughs) when they do even looking at it in the story perspective though like so are you expecting then every character in a story to always act perfectly too? Right. You know what I mean? That like, bothers me too. That bothers me too. I get on my soapbox about that. When, uh, you know, when people criticize characters for making mistakes and making, you know, not always doing the right thing. And part of you wants to go, you know, like, and again, it's a fine line. Like, okay, I don't want the doctor making you know, sexist remarks. On the other hand, I don't want the doctor to be perfect either. I want him to be believably flawed. I also Um, don't want him to kill people, but sometimes he does. You know what I mean? So it is a question of balance, you know, I think at the end of the day. Um, Um, 
you so, know, and 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 walking that line between having allowing the doctor to make mistakes and to make bad choices, and not necessarily letting the episode, like, you know, applaud that when he does, like, mm-hmm. you know, and so like you said, like making a rude comment, and then realizing that was a stupid thing to say, you know. Right. Yeah, I took that as. That's kind of why I find, like. And I guess you can go line by line and maybe excuse them all one by one. And I know that's not necessarily what we're trying to do. But like that one in particular seems to me like, actually, no, he's like pointing out that he knows it was the wrong thing to say. And like, yes, it's sort of lighthearted and maybe people don't like the fact that it's lighthearted or whatever, like in that moment. And I, I, I get that to a certain extent. But like... I don't think we're meant to take that as like this is His what the doctor really thinks and yeah. this is and and this is what Moffat is saying is the way that is appropriate to act. Like I don't mm-hmm. I don't see that particular line as being that at all. Mm-hmm. Um and same with again going back to Rory. Like I don't see that as being Rory's being misogynistic. It's another crack at Rory. Like mm-hmm whatever like that and that's fine you know i mean people interpret many things in different ways so okay i that it'll be under i i mean keep bringing it up definitely because i think both of these shows sort of lend themselves to discussions like this that Mm -hmm. maybe aren't always the easiest and yeah i know for me i've mentioned it before you know i'm a middle class white guy (laughs) so like you know i'm not maybe privy to uh you know all of the same experiences that mm-hmm. women would have or that people of color would have and so yeah it it does become hard sometimes for me to imagine those sort of things and I'll I freely admit that but I think that's it is important to sort of understand when those things come up and we can mm-hmm. just, I mean you know we talked about um you know Mel and and the fact that like it, there probably is something to do with sort of uh, the the racial aspect that maybe didn't trigger in my mind that she would be River Song. Right. Um, and, you know, comparing that to Joss Whedon. I mean, he's been criticized for the fact that, you know, in Southern California, I think the entire series we see one Hispanic person. Right. You know, I mean, like sure. things like that where like and not that many diverse right. uh, races in any in general form. Sure. yeah just in general so yeah y- you know those i think are valid criticisms yeah and I, and I think that's the thing like okay that's that might be true and that might be a valid criticism and maybe we wish that he had done better mm-hmm. does that mean joss whedon is racist necessarily to some I people think that's it does quite a, <laughs> to some people it does for me yeah. that's quite a leap yeah um, exactly and and i know, think I mean, it's other than just being stupid and ignorant and privileged is racism then yeah (laughs) and then in that case i'm racist too um you know i don't think he's being actively you know exclusive necessarily i think it's a it's a blind spot you know and so i think when the criticisms of moffat are valid it's generally in that vein it's in a you know well he you know he didn't put sufficient thought into this um Mm -hmm. And and stuff gets out there that you wish didn't. Um, but in general, I don't think he's making any sort of comment 
you know, or, um, you know, or, or making, uh, exclusive or, yeah. you know, or I think the other comments or anything. I think the other thing that I would say too, is that, um, you know, we can acknowledge that and then still say, well, let's talk about the story yeah. as it was created. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, now that we've spent like most of our time on this. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I think it's, I think it's good to talk about. I actually, I don't know. So from, we kind of jumped around with like Mel's and river mm-hmm. and, um, we got like to the regeneration part. Um, I want to jump ahead. So like, you know, she sort of goes off and gets her clothes and this and that. Well, you know what? Two quick things. Um, Two quick things there. Um, yeah. Before we move quite that far forward. Um, speaking of inclusive lines, I do like her line about being on her way to a gay, you know, gypsy bar mitzvah for the disabled. Um, <laughs> gosh, the Third Reich's a bit rubbish. I think I'll kill the Fuhrer. Um, and, but... Uh, my favorite bit is the callback to the 15 hour rule of regeneration, uh, you know, which I love. I like, you know, I mean, not only did I not see the regeneration coming, but, um, I love that Moffat takes that idea from Davies that, oh, I'm in within the 15 hours, you know, he can grow Mm -hmm. his hand back. And so here you have River getting gunned down by these guys and not a scratch on her. And she can kind of, blast them away so playing with that idea of mm-hmm. the rules of the regeneration and, and everything and 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 extending that further for what that means yeah so like um, she's kind of immortal and you know untouchable in that regeneration zone the the blast that sort of knocks them out though too is a callback more to donna than the doctor like sure yeah uh Right, right. I guess it's post. I almost said Doctor Donna, but it's it's kind of post Doctor Donna, right? It's right. Uh, when the Doctor sort of takes away her memories, but installs like a failsafe or whatever right. it is that knocks people out um, there. Um, yeah, and we get the other call back to the banana. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the more more Doctor dances. Um, we always I, get those little parallels between Jack and River. Um, I think they have a lot in common. So, yeah, the switching out of the banana. I actually the like that whole, like, um, the anticipation of, you know, like three steps ahead, almost right. Sherlockian keeps, like, kind it's of. It's very Sherlock, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, the, of course I knew you were going to do that, so I did this. Well, I right. knew you were going to do that, so I did this. And Well, and, and whether for good or bad, you, it's very clear the parallels between the Doctor and River and Sherlock and Irene Adler. You know, that kind mm-hmm. of dueling, yeah, yeah. like they're as quick as each other. They keep outwitting, you know, who's one step ahead of the other one. Um, yep. You know, so, and they have that kind of like, you know, romantic comedy banter thing about them and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, no, well, no, I'm glad you brought back to talk about that because those were good good parts definitely well Um, and and the sorry just to finish the thing about the regeneration limit ends up actually 
being well, the key to the plot at the what end. What I was so. gonna that's why I was where I was going with all that it was yeah, so that, go ahead. you know, we get we get her going out and getting the clothes and everything after poisoning the doctor, but then um you know, she comes back and ultimately saves the doctor. Um after he, I mean, there's a whole obviously series of stuff. So he whispers something in her ear, which we're not privy to, but no. apparently, you know, it's something very touching and yeah, even gets through her psychopathic. Well, I'm you know, sure she knows. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Which I mean, implies something along the lines of I love her or I right. love you or something like that. Like, um, and, um, but it also, I, I think, calls back, I'm not saying this is the same thing, but it also calls back her whispering in his ear yes. in Silence of the Library. Yes. No, absolutely. Um, so I like to, so, you know, she's, and it intrigues her because now, like, she knows this thing that the doctor wants Riversong to find out. And uh, so a couple things, because one, we've talked about how, like, okay, she's the purpose sort of for her life up to this point mm. insofar as it has a purpose is to kill the doctor. Well, mm. now here's the doctor literally about to die. Mm -hmm. And it's the doctor who sort of gives her the next purpose, right? Which is to find river song mm -hmm. and tell her this message. Um, of course we know she's river song. So it's like finding river herself. song yeah. within herself. Yeah. yeah like, right. you know, um, it actually reminded me of the movie Hook when, like, mm. the they're, like, playing with uh, Robin Williams' face and then the little boy's like, oh, there you are, Peter. Like, you know, it's like right. you had to, like, pull the fat away right. and, like, find Right, smooth Peter's the wrinkles away, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, or the wrinkles or whatever. Yeah, so, like, uh, it kind of reminded me of that, like, find yourself. But um, yeah. I like how they have, um, how Amy has the robot which has now been abandoned by all of these you know miniature mm -hmm. people or whatever um be the one to show her it's like this you know third party you know uh mm. court appointed you know <laughs> computer or whatever that yeah. actually reveals so it's like you know a trustworthy authoritative source for you know describing right, it's not just amy saying well, right. you're her. Yeah, yeah you're her because it would be what. So like, it's it's this other other thing that that seems to know all about. And so show, you know who is River Song? Show us River Song, and it turns out to be her. And so it breaks down whatever conditioning she had and whatever. So she goes and is able to save the doctor by using up apparently all of her remaining regenerations, which I we don't actually get a number for. No. Uh, we don't, and we don't know how many times, like, we know she's regenerated at least twice because we've seen mm -hmm. those on screen. But possibly she had regenerated more than that when she was still a child. Sure. I mean, we don't, we don't know one way or the other. So, um. Yeah. I mean, it's unclear what the implications of this are. Does that, um, does all of that, merely restore the doctor to life or does that is it like a cumulative thing is it like he gets a new regeneration for each of her given ones or mm. or and those are two different you know i'm not saying one way or the other you know but 
uh, you know, at this point, it could be either or something else entirely. We're not quite sure. But right. in any case, it uh, seems to provide an answer for why she can't regenerate in the library. Mm -hmm. um, you know, which I said, Moffat hasn't forgotten that. So. Yeah. Although I think we still could have gotten the explanation to be that, like, because we, we, I mean, we've gotten the explanation before that Time Lords can die before they have a chance to regenerate. And so, I think there is a line in the library about how that's why she sacrifices himself, herself, because he wouldn't just regenerate, he would be killed. So right. I would assume the same would be for her if so she... You know, don't, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Really. Right, we don't actually know if that's... No. Like, if that's actually true. That's It's just sort of the doctor's word that she used right. all her remaining regenerations. Like, right. But uh, I'll, I'll confirm. I mean, obviously, the river we see in the library is the same. So she doesn't have any more regenerations past this point, you know? No, she's um, in the computer, and that's where she stays. Right, right. Um, yeah. to live out her remaining days as maybe, um, which is still sad, but you know, it is what it is. It is sad. Uh, and I like to the parallels of their first meetings, you know, and the, mm. the idea that, um, they kind of end up again, another one of those like time travel closed loops. They end up kind of shaping each other, you know, because mm -hmm. we have, wise river in the library saying you know you'll be the doctor someday you know and my doctor's like this and she tells him what he, and then he grows to be that way you know that he becomes her doctor you know mm -hmm. and in here you get the doctor kind of telling river what rivers or telling mel's i guess what river is like um you know and her changing into that you know so you kind of have this idea of them in a way like literally completing each other like um mm -hmm. like they each tell the other one what you know what you're going to be yeah. and that's going to be a good and, thing and yeah, changing and, for the better really and but it's that right it's that thing of you know is it that you grow to become that because that's how you just are or is it because i'm telling you this is what you are going to be does that right. then become something to aspire to Right. Um, and so then the idea, you know, at the end there of her going to get her archaeology degree in order to go find the doctor, like right. that's, you know, an influence of, you know, who she is and what she wants to become. Um, you know, I, I'm looking for a good man, you know, kind of, mm -hmm. you know, that whole thing. Um, which... Now that you pointed out the misogyny, it's like <laughs> now that you pointed now, it out, yeah. now you know it's like oh, is this so? Yeah. Is the only reason she's becoming an archaeologist so she can right. look for him? And yeah, another line, a, a problem with River that people have is that we only, or you could read it as her whole life being defined in terms of the Doctor, whether it's as the woman who's conditioned to kill him, and then the fact that she, you know becomes an archaeologist to find him again but i think we also get the sense of the amount of adventure she has on her own you know right. 
Um, exactly. I mean, it's also heavily implied that she's in prison because of him. Um, but again, she breaks out on a regular basis, you know, and we get reference to these other relationships that she's had and other adventures that she's had. Yeah. So we only ever really see her in terms of the doctor, but I think there is reference to the fact the that she has is... a life outside of that. You yeah. Know? I mean, the, the name of the show is Dr. It's Dr. Who. Who, so, so like, yeah. you know, in some sense, every character that comes into it is, is defined by the defined doctor. by their relationship yeah. with the doctor. Yeah. So I don't think that's misogynistic because that applies to men and women. Sure. Um, and aliens. Of yeah. various sorts. So, so you you see how this now now you'll be sensitive to it, and you'll notice all these little things. But then, when you actually sit and think about it, you'll kind of realize most of them are pretty superficial. You know, sure. that's kind of from now from this point on, kind of how I look at it. But yeah, um, so. Well, yeah. I mean, you get the sense that River has plenty of other adventures um what i mean i mean she even that... makes reference to other relationships you know she talks about dating oh, yeah. an android and you know oh yeah um, um all sorts of things so but the, i mean it certainly is true that within the context of the story i mean but that's again that's like that's true of everybody not not her like so yes moffat could have gone and written rivers character differently but there's also like there's like i don't have a problem with that and i don't see it as misogynistic because there's like good internal reasons in the story of why that's the case you know what i mean like there's it's not like it's like it's other people trying to use river in this way and there's also the sense that river is very much her own person and i'll Mm -hmm except for the parts where she's like conditioned to kill the doctor and you know, <laughs> right. except for like the bad guys agent. making her. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, yeah, like the doctor actually sort of frees her to become her own person. And yes, I yeah. guess I can see that there's misogynistic problems with that too. But I mean, if you're going to do that, it's like, can a man never have like an interaction with a woman that like, Right. Sure, in any way without it being misogynist. Like, there's right. a point where that just becomes like you're it being silly. It becomes self defeating. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and certainly there are there are ways like you just said. You know, there are ways in which River defines who the Doctor is mm-hmm. uh, because she tells him someday you'll be my Doctor. You know, and and yeah. tells him to some extent of who that is. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, what that means to her. So. Mm-hmm. um you know, by whispering into his ear that, you know, she knows his name and stuff. So it's like, so yeah. he knows that at some point he will trust her completely and, and probably yeah. helps that come to fruition quicker than it would have otherwise. And um, Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it, that him in this episode, like, shaping her and guiding her and telling her what she'll be is totally, you know the echo of the what the way that she does that in silence in the library so to me that would only be a problem if it was a one-sided thing but it's clearly reciprocal um right and cyclical because it's a loop you know in that way like they each do it because the other did it for them you know um which sounds to me like 
an ideal relationship should work that way. So um, well, and that's what I was going to say next is yeah. that like they're actually it actually seems like their relationship is literally like, you know, a love of the, you know, for the ages kind of thing. Like this is, you know, it transcends time and space quite literally. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that it's, it's not just one-sided certainly in any way. And that there's, yes, there are other, they each have other relationships before, after, and kind of during, you know, (laughs) like their own, but it's like when they're together, they're together all the way. And, Mm -hmm. um, one may help the other more in one case, but it doesn't seem like it's one-sided at all mm-hmm. to me anyway. Yeah. I think I'd agree with you. Um, all right. We should probably wrap this up. Well, uh, okay. But so I know we, there's a lot to talk about still, but well, I'm just pointing out. <laughs> I mean, the one thing I really want to make sure that we cover is the the bit that we get um, I mean, unless we have anything else big about Amy and Rory, I guess. Um, I don't think, I mean, honestly, I didn't take a lot of notes on them. I mean, Rory's are just kind of one-off funny things. And yeah. Um, I mean, Amy, actually, I don't have a lot with her either. Like, we come in peace. When has that ever worked? Like, that kind of <laughs> stuff, you know? Yeah, like, right, little one-liners There's, there's not a lot. Um, I mean, mostly River and the Doctor, I think, are are the two big... I guess the one thing I guess it's worth pointing out is that I, I, and again, I think it's a, it is a fair criticism to say Amy and Rory are slightly neglected this episode, given what they've just been through. <laughs> um, I think the one thing that does kind of, it, it only kind of works in retrospect when you realize what's going on, but there is this notion that they, realizing that they grew up with Mel's retroactively Mm. kind of helps you know them recover somewhat from the loss of the baby you know that they did get to spend that time with her and you see amy especially parenting her you know like constantly waiting for her outside the door and and lecturing her on how to be a legal person and to grow up and you know be responsible um and i i actually i do like too that it's like mel's who points out that they're kind of made meant to be together right and like right. yeah and of course she knows this because she's their daughter and, right yeah you know, like, knows that yeah. they get together anyway but and like i love the way she said Amy, like it, it's it's got to be you two like i've done the research i'm yeah. sure it has to be you can yeah. you just get together already penny in the air and yeah penny drops right um no and and the fact that amy thought rory was gay like all those years right because he doesn't pay attention to girls yeah <laughs> Because she's one of the boys, like right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um. No, that's yeah. That is all good. I mean, so I mean, I, I think that kind of helps to recover somewhat from like, you know, and some of it is just I, the consequence guess... of going like from a really dark, intense episode to like a really crazy comedy episode. Is it yeah. feels a little bit jarring, but what do you know, people expect? Like, how do they expect Amy and Rory to be acting, though? Like, that's the thing that I'm not clear on. Like, what? so what's the criticism of, like, they're not weeping and crying all the time because their I baby's think lost? kind of, basically, yeah. That, like, yeah. Like, I think people expected... You know, I'm, I'm not saying that this is a valid expectation, but I think, I think the expectation would be 
more time on yeah Amy's and Rory's sort of okay trauma. And again, I I said this last time that Sandifer's defense of this is that you know if you want to spend an episode with a distraught Amy, maybe you need to take a look at your own expectations that, you know. Yeah. I don't see where that comes from though, because like Amy is a determined type, you know, and Rory is a determined type. Like what, I mean, you know, think about the 2000 years that he sat in front of the box, you know, that Amy was trapped in. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like he, this isn't, this isn't, I'm, gonna sit here and weep the whole time it's i'm gonna pull the box out of the fire when it needs to be pulled out of the fire it's you know i'm gonna do what needs to be done to save and keep protect and whatever and and same thing when um you know with with amy and and various circumstances of you know it's not yes you can be sad about stuff but like you know she says to the doctor you find my baby like this is and now it's okay, where have you been? I'm calling you home. Like I wanted status update. (laughs) Like, you know, this isn't, this isn't, I mean, maybe, and there's a period of time that passes, but like Mm -hmm. maybe there was weeping and gnashing of teeth or whatever you want to have. But I don't, I don't see why that makes for like an interesting story and why you want to see that. I want to see the Amy and Rory who are determined to find their kid and, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. It's people baffle me sometimes. (laughs) People, they're the worst. People, Um, they're the worst. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm pretty much with you. Um, so, sorry, you look like you're gonna say something. I I was just gonna say. I mean, unless there's anything else about like Amy and Rory or the other characters like just the stuff we get about the silence was the last yeah no i want to i want to go over some of the mythology here um and so yeah i mean we mentioned and there's not a lot to say about the tesselector i mean it's kind of the device no. in the episode but i think it's interesting to have these characters who you know again if we're talking about rewriting time you know who are going around judging you know, I love the doctor's assessment of you got yourselves time travel, so you decided to punish dead people. You know, which is funny because you think of now that it's we're in Doctor Who, you think of all of time as one. You don't think of Hitler as dead necessarily, but when you realize it, you know, well, he's kind of right. Like that is the past, and are you really gonna heal anything by you know exacting mm-hmm. revenge? on what's past. Um, but you get this idea of, you know, River as one of, if not the biggest war, war criminal in existence, you know, mm-hmm. um, or at least that's what the test selector people think. Right. Um, according to their records. According to their records. Um, you know, and on record, she's the woman who kills the doctor, you know, right. and and which they pinpoint to you know, Utah, as we saw. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So the implication being that she is the person in the spacesuit. In the spacesuit, which uh, she was as a little girl, you know, but we never see what's in the spacesuit in Utah. 
Um, right. So that's well, and that's what I was gonna say. So like in a way, I was right. Right. Like that's if that if she really is the one in the spacesuit, it's the same person. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it seems like that's the implication. Um, the other thing being is that River song later in life, as is we know there, her, right? As we know her, is there. Right. So what what river is it? Who's yeah. in the spacesuit? You right. know, um, and does she know? We would think that she does because she's broken out of prison, and the reason she's in prison is for killing someone. And if it's that event right. for which she's in prison, then she knows at the time that it's herself yeah. killing the doctor. Right. Um, which brings in lots of loopy things. Very loopy. Um, I also Time. like the idea that... Wibbly wobbly. Uh, a lot of wibbly wobbly stuff. Um, I also like the idea that because we've just come off a good man goes to war, when they first talk about, you know, the war criminal you wonder for a second whether they're talking about the doctor, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then yeah. you I... find out it's actually, you know, his her. own death which is being avenged, yeah. you know? So, again, this idea that of the doctor's reputation, either as the biggest villain ever or the biggest hero ever, um, you know, both of which are kind of probably, you know, exaggerations, yeah. you know, that he's... Well, sure. Like like anybody he's but also you know, kind of true but also kind of true yeah exaggerations in the sense that you know is he as evil or as perfect as either of those things implies but also oh, yeah. that he really is as you know big as his reputation would suggest no and you know? and i don't like i didn't i meant that as like not a contradiction of what you're saying but like as a as a uh paradox you mm -hmm. know where they're kind of like both true <laughs> you right. know like they're all they're all true simultaneously all true. even though they're contradictory <laughs> yeah um, um so and yeah. then okay so the final thing which we just have to go over here with the mythology is um this you know purpose of the silence that we mm. get that mm. the silence is not a species it's a religious order or movement their core belief is that silence will fall when the question is asked the first question the oldest question in the universe hidden in plain sight mm. and the doctor says what is the question unknown so of course because if it were course. asked then yeah silence a, would fall a little right? uh hitchhiker reference there of of you know, 42 is the answer, but we don't know what the question is. Um, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um, uh, but. I didn't, I didn't think of that, but I think it works. Yeah. But I think peeling, starting to peel back the layers of the silence and Madame Kovarian's um, motivation, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. Or at least their beliefs, which are leading, you know. So all of this is very, you and, know. So, poetic and we're not quite sure what it means at this point so the one question i sort of had and maybe this can't be answered or shouldn't be answered yet but um i'm sure it's not the the oldest question in the universe but uh the question i had was like so okay the silence then it's a religious order so first of all we thought i thought that it was 
uh, you know, this alien species or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, going back to even like the earlier references to the silence that we got, like um, vampires in Venice, uh, you know, yeah. whereas we ran from the silence. So it then becomes not an alien race or like a nebulous thing, but it's mm. a religious order. So mm-hmm. like a crusade almost, I guess you could think of it as. Sure. Um, sure. And if, also makes and, if, him... and if the, if their method is to, you know, they're in a, what we learned from Kavarian is that they're in a war with the doctor and that they're, trying to kill him via river. So it seems like they have kind of a, you know, jihadist mentality of in this sort of, yeah, maybe some sort of, you know, religious or holy war against the doctor. Um, and so also then you have the, like these order of the headless monks. Uh, but I guess that's different religious order like or maybe it's a sect or something of the silence like i don't yeah I don't, I mean, i'm not quite sure how they fit in but the silence may, maybe it doesn't matter yeah i mean the silence and the monks and the like clerics all seem to be all kind of mixed up um i don't know that we ever really find out exactly how they relate okay. to each other but there's this particular whether those are like various chapters of the same movement or whether they're just allies those those are like the ones out to get the doctor basically (laughs) i mean that's kind of what i was like i mean you think of like catholic monks right you have the franciscans and the dominicans and you know whatever and you have different orders of nuns and that kind of thing so like like i you know they could all be part of like the same larger umbrella but maybe have different outlooks or purposes or and we are going to get a little bit more we'll get a little bit more of that later Um, sure exactly uh how they relate to each other um but um but fair enough i mean the main and then so then the other twist on the silence then is not it's not just the name of the species and the name of the movement but they believe it seems like they're named after this belief this belief that silence will fall when the question is asked um yeah wasn't there like a longer name to like the uh, order or something like silence of oh, the like the academy of the, the question, question or something. yeah the academy yeah. of the question that's what it, so um, you know i think to me that suggests a couple things like one what does silencing fall mean you know if when the question is asked silence will fall okay so what mm-hmm. does that mean and the obvious one which is what is the question um you know, and we get a couple of clues. It's the oldest in the universe, and it's hidden in plain sight. Mm-hmm. So, something to think about. Sure, sure. All right. Well, we will think about it. <laughs> <laughs> if you come up with any guesses, feel free. But I won't like, I won't pester you for that unless you of you know what the question is. If you if you wanted to venture any guesses, but that's oh, okay. uh, that's you know we could just let it unfold. All right, I will have to ponder. Okay. I don't have any guesses off the top of my head. All right, that's all right. <laughs> well, I mean, I think... 
something along the lines of maybe who is the doctor or something like that. Right, but I feel right. like that's not the oldest question in the universe. Like, you know, or it could be something stupid. Like when they went back to see the first writing on the cliff and it was like, hello, sweetie, hello, sweetie. you know, right. Right. Well, we shall see. We've gone way over, so. Oh, yeah. We should, we should definitely. Talk, stop talking about Moffat and sexism and finish up. All right. Well, we will be back next week to talk about all of that, I'm sure. <laughs> all right. See you then. Mm-hmm.